This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Russell Kidd, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling. Hey, this episode is a very special one indeed. Joe and I am joined by our good pal Matt Ricardo, who is one of the most preeminent variety performers, gentlemen jugglers, magicians, and user of tricks and sleights of hand that the likes of which you've never seen the likes of which. Matt is absolutely fabulous, and we've gotten to know Matt quite well over the last year, and we're so excited to have him on the show. He's a massive fan of both wrestling he is a close friend of William Regal and he's a big fan of the podcast as well so I'm sure you guys will love to hear what he has to say on everyone's favorite English wrestling villain do check Matt out online hit him up on YouTube it's Matt with one T Ricardo see some of his amazing tricks and don't forget to check out his website mattricardo.com for information because he is touring all over the country and you can see his incredible feats of variety at a theater near you all information available on mattricardo.com and hey, it's coming up to the Christmas season, and if you're thinking about a way to treat yourself or to treat someone that you love and support the show, why not head over to patreon.com forward slash wrestling? You can request an episode, you can request an impression if you want a unique voicemail, a greeting card, or the world's weirdest wrestling gift to give your friend. How about Joe doing your promo of choice? All that is available, and we are available for hire over at patreon.com forward slash wrestling. The only thing I will say is that as the Christmas months are upon us or time will get less and less and it will become busier and busier so if you are on the fence or thinking about hiring us to do an impression a voiceover or to request an episode head us up sooner rather than later and we'll make sure we get your christmas gift out to you head over to patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling hey become just a five dollar backer and get access to our entire back catalog over 50 episodes of our pay-per-view review series as well as the brand new how to revisited series enjoy this episode though in the meantime it's how to William Regal. Greetings, friends, and welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And this is a very, very special episode because today we're talking about everyone's favorite Englishman and old curmudgeon. It's only How To William Regal. However, once again, it's me, Cowboy Kevin Mann, joined as I am always in this educational guide through faces and moments and things in wrestling by my better half joe graham hello how are you doing today joe i am exceptionally well thank you i've just eaten some delicious chickpeas oh really so you got the fiber yeah you got the, i, I realise i should probably give some context they're not just plain chickpeas i'm not that boring I mean, like steve austin eating a raw potato <laughs> and a fistful of chickpeas the podcast isn't doing very well <laughs> the, this is the season when you're eating like tuna and rice and chickpeas just non-stop but you're, you're in a good you're happy to be talking about this gentleman today yeah i'm really excited this is one of the people in wrestling I think I know more about than other wrestlers we've done episodes on. Oh yeah? Simply for the matter that he existed when I started watching wrestling as like a character in the show. It's interesting that you should mention that because as a result of you having a little bit of pre-knowledge I feel to reach next level levels of knowledge we've had to reach out into our uh, Rolodex of knowledgeable people Mm -hmm. and that's why today we have joining us our very special guest, the very wonderful Matt Ricardo. Hello there. Hi Matt. 
I also had chickpeas. Oh, Yay! good! They're really good. Yeah, you feeling well? <laughs> I'm feeling good. Yeah, Matt, first things first, who are you and what are you doing here? Yeah, um, I am Matt Ricardo. Um, I am a, uh, a comedian and a variety performer. And I'm here because I'm a fan of the podcast and a fan of wrestling. And there's no way to say this that doesn't sound a bit awkward. Uh, I am William Regal's friend. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. So are you here to either defend the good name of William Regal or make sure that we don't go out of... I mean, has Connecticut sent you down here in New York? Representative, yeah. yeah. Is it? Is it going to need defending? I mean, he's a dirty, nasty heel from what I've seen. He can defend himself. Yeah, he's got brass knuckles from what I've heard. Okay, I'm going to have to ask both of you both as someone who knows him personally and as someone who has spent a week or so watching lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of clips and matches and whatnot. Mm. Uh, firstly, Joe, who is William Regal and how would you describe him for a new fan? So for a new fan, to me as a new fan, I would describe him as the general manager of NXT. And he's a nice he's a nice, kindly man. He's He's kind of like the cool uncle, I think, of wrestling. He comes out occasionally to tell off baddies in the, in the wrestling. So what are his duties as a, as a general manager? He comes out and he tells off the baddies if they've done something wrong. Payroll, stuff like that. On the wrist. I don't know if he does payroll. Is that his department? <laughs> it could be. I, I imagine he has people for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd hate to think of William Regal staying up late into the long hours of the night signing payroll. <laughs> Counting <laughs> expenses. He'd do it with a quill though, wouldn't he? You know that he would if he was. <laughs> so, okay. You were saying that he's this, this nice figure yeah. and when you started watching wrestling he was a kind of a, a nice person to, to mm-hmm. be on screen uh, Matt maybe be more familiar with the larger career of William mm-hmm. Regal would you describe him as simply a nice man who does some admin he he certainly is a nice man I can't speak to his admin skills <laughs> he is the consummate gentleman villain oh you know he's a softly spoken civilized polite man who will fuck you up Oh, that's a very beautiful way of putting it. There's something very... Um, I'm going to say it right now. I'm surrounded. I'm flanked mm. by, by Britain and by Britons. It's that's true. B-R-I-T-O-N-S, okay? Not mm. that you've mm-hmm. made another country. That would be very alarming. Mm. Um, but there's a, there's a way, and I have to say this, and I understand I'm outnumbered, but British people have a natural coming acrossness. How dare you? I haven't even got there. This is racism. <laughs> but... Both in America and in Ireland, we kind of go, yeah, you know, it kind of fits in if you do the the, the, the villain with the English accent. Mm. You know, there's a reason why the, the you know, all the Disney villains usually have English accents, isn't yeah. it? I mean, are you inherently a, a, a wicked people? That's why I'm going to ask. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, but also civilised. Ah, <laughs> you know? I mean, you are, definitely. Well, thank you. But you're not like, I wouldn't say you're necessarily the most accurate example of like Britain as a whole. No, I'm, I think I'm kind of glad about that. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> See, I have I have really strong opinions on English people being used as villains and things. I think it's great. I think there's so few countries in the world where you can use a stereotype of a country and it not be offensive or racist or yeah. cruel, but it actually also be historically accurate. Yeah, it's very rare that you can do the foreign baddie in America mm. and it'd be like, yeah, no, you're pretty accurate though. Yeah, <laughs> the British bad guy. It, like in Hollywood, it is used, I think, to sort of, to sort of signify devious intellect, mm. you know, yeah. Yeah. rather than sort of brute force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. nasty, nasty, sneaky heels 
who will be nice to your face, but then will be scheming behind your back to take all your land and money. See, this is very strange for me because as a kid, I have very, very strong memories of Willie Regal, the bad guy. But even when I was a kid, and even though I was living in Ireland in a Catholic boarding school where there was a lot of anti-English sentiment, let's just say, (laughs) everyone seemed to still kind of like William Regal, so to speak. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know, Matt, could you maybe describe some of the things that Regal does to kind of be that hateable villain, but somehow be an endearing one at the same time? Because he made 12-year-old angry testosterone-fueled Irish boys go, ah, I know we hate the English, but (laughs) he does it in a way that's quite fun. It's interesting. For me, he's the only heel that really hits this exactly right in that he can... He can make an arena really hate him, like really hate him. But also, just with a glint in the eye, they know they're part of a game here. Mm. You know, it, it's it's because he's damn charming. It's stage presence. It's it's that craft. Yeah, I mean, it also is probably down to the fact that people know legitimately that the English are not coming. They are not going to come and get get America unless there's some sort of secret plan that I'm. I mean, I'm cool. You can tell me if there is, right? Yeah, there's definitely yeah. No, no plan. No, nothing, nothing. Okay. Don't Every- tell them no, about nothing. the plan. Everything, everything is normal and as you think it is. Yeah. Bloody blue bloods. Well, we might as well get into <laughs> the life and times and careers of William Regal, uh, also known as Stephen Regal as well. I, I like this as well, that he went between, he was Stephen, then he was Stephen William, mm. and then William. But that's not his real name, right? You told me his real name the other day, and William Regal... You might listen to this episode, so I apologise in advance. But his real name is really funny because it doesn't look like William Regal. Like, how can I say this without sounding really rude? You're really putting on a pedestal. Now. It just, it, I it's just William say Regal. It. Say the name. I can't remember what the name is. What is his name? Oh no, I ain't gonna put it on me now. Shall, shall I say Please it? Please say, say it. Yeah. No, forgive me. Okay. Um, his name is Darren Matthews. That's it, it's Darren. It's the most English name. Yeah. It's a lovely, normal it's a, English yeah, name. It's a isn't great it? name, but it's so normal. And when you know Willie, like when you see William Regal, he just looks like such a William Regal. Yeah. And it's impossible to, for me to think of him as a Darren. Mm. Yeah. yeah. He looks like far too villainous to be a Darren. Yeah, William is a fairly, uh, fairly uh, uh, villainous name in the sort. I mean, I guess he ha- he's always as billed as hailing from Blackpool. And I think it's always. Very funny that over in England, in England, Blackpool obviously brings a lot of things to mind, like Blackpool Pleasure Beach mm. and like, you know, uh, fish and chips and overcast skies. Mm. But over in America, though, I think because of William Regal, I think they think that like Blackpool is the heart of the aristocracy. It's where you the know? Queen lives. Yeah, it's like Buckingham Palace is somewhere yeah. along there. We met a fan recently who was telling us um, about William Regal and one of the biggest issues he had, this fan was from Blackpool. He says, growing up as a kid, he's like, here's this guy from Blackpool on screen. He's like, it's not like this here. <laughs> it is very normal, not posh at all. <laughs> I like that though, because it means he's like double effective as a heel because it's the posh character I think is inherently villainous. Even to like the English, you know, none of us like, you know, rich, posh people. They're yeah. villains. Mm. It works in America, but it also does work for if you are aware of the location, the geography of England, and you do know what Blackpool is like, and you enjoy Blackpool for what it is, and absolutely you'd be like so offended that this man is claiming <laughs> this is what Blackpool is like. And I love that. <laughs> well, let's start way back at the start, some of the uh, early days of, uh, of young Stephen Regal's career where he was part of World of Sport. Now, World of Sport is 
very important uh, in England and I know not much about World of Sport, so I will defer to you, Matt, to explain to our American viewers what is World of Sport and why would it be considered an important thing? Well, World of Sport was the the British wrestling TV show in... I'm going to say the 70s. I think it finished in the 80s. Yeah, it was, it was a good long while. I think, yeah, it was, on it TV. was a Saturday afternoon staple. Yeah. Um, greetings, grapple fans, they used to say. <laughs> um, and it, I guess it was representative of what now would be called the British Indies, the British yeah. Independent Circuit, although it was only one promotion for most of its time that, that ran the TV shows. So what I know about William Regal's involvement, or, or Steve Regal as he was then, is that he was with one promoter who put him on TV, put him on World of Sport, and he, although he was on TV, he wasn't super happy with the 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 matches he was having. He thought he wasn't learning anything. He wanted mm. to be in the ring with people who are better than him. So he called up the other promoter who didn't have a TV deal and jumped ship to them. So that he could work with better people wow. and be I less love famous. That. That Isn't is, that good? That's so good. Yeah, because that's how you get better. I yeah. strongly believe that. Surround yourself with people who are better than you, and you will become better yourself. Yeah, but that's like you literally have fame and national. Because if yeah. you're on World of Sport on the TV show, that you're being that that's a show. I don't think maybe people in America realize. It completely penetrated the mainstream here in a way I don't even think that American wrestling did yeah. in the US. At that point, like occasionally I think he was Big Daddy's tag partner. And at wow. that point, Big Daddy was not just the biggest star in British wrestling, but he was like a super household name yeah. in Britain. He yeah. was on every TV My show. My parents was... know about Big Daddy yeah. and they don't even watch any wrestling at all. That's incredible because like I, I've always used that as my kind of way to get an in with anyone in England over the age of sixty-five. I'll, they'll kind of go sixty-five. <laughs> well, no, well, sixty, I'll say. But uh, anytime they'll, they'll kind of ask about wrestling and kind of, oh yeah, sure, you probably you know, watched it back in the day. And I'll just go, Haha, Mick McManus, Big Daddy, and their faces will <laughs> light up like, yep. oh yes, you remember those shows and the villainous Irishman and all that. That was great. Here's a question I wanted to, to ask you, Matt, because it's something that's often been said on commentary. And I always remember, like, when I was watching as a kid, uh, William Regal, they'd be like, oh, he's been fighting since he was, like, five years old. You know, he went on to the... He was fighting people in carnivals on Blackpool and stuff like that. Now, how much of that is true, that kind of... Because it was kind of like a, an old-timey carnival circuit, like, in, yeah. in Blackpool, where they would do open challenges, so to speak. Is that true? It's... Basically true. I mean, he wasn't five. Um, <laughs> that may have some... been exaggerated for comic effects. <laughs> there are still some child labour laws. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I believe as a sort of mid middle teenager, uh, he, he tells a lovely story about being on Blackpool Pleasure Beach and looking through a curtain, like a chink in a curtain, and seeing a, a cowboy and a Viking and a superhero <laughs> and, and going, what? I want to do that. I want to be that. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I, I believe it's true to say that in his mid to late teens, he was starting out as a wrestler on Blackpool Pleasure Beach, taking on all comers, which was which was mostly, you know, not legit. But occasionally it was, and I think I'm right in saying that I've heard the technique was, you know, it's that thing of you pay this much to, to get in the ring. If you can survive this many rounds, you get a cash prize. I believe I'm right in saying that the technique was as the volunteer from the audience puts his head through the ropes, you just kick him in the head. <gasps> what? <laughs> what? Wow. What? But to be a teenager, 
and that be your job. Yeah. That's the best, yeah. Fantastic. God. So how on earth did he get involved with that? Like, his, his parents, were they involved in the entertainment no. industry at all? No. Were they proud that their son's job was... Because he's from, like, kind of that? rural Staffordshire. Like, he's kind of... He's, he's not... He's not he grew up, like, in Blackpool itself. Oh, really? Yeah. Blackpool was a sort of early adopted hometown. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, I think he, he just... It's one of the things that we have bonded over is that we love the kind of carnival circus, that kind of general carny world, you know, which what I do and what he does are both part of. Um, I think he just loved the crazy pageantry of it, for want of a better phrase, you know, the Viking and the, you know, all that stuff. And also, I guess... For a teenage a teenage boy learning to fight, mm. yeah, know. it's interesting because I think he's one of the only wrestlers I've heard that when people use like carny or carnival, that's unless used in wrestling, it's usually used to describe like everything from crown jewel to Vince McMahon doing anything. You know? <laughs> but like, it's interesting that someone has managed to take maybe some positives from that kind of generation or that era or that kind of label and mm. bring it because he still very much references you know when he's teaching and talking uh he references those early days quite a lot i think that is kind of important i guess the, the, these are still you know, the, the world of the the circus and the, the traveling show and the carnival they are still uh, grassroots promoters who know how to promote and that is for good and for bad yeah yeah. there's some good in there yeah Yeah, definitely well let's talk a little bit about his move to the big time in america now wcw is a company where every time it appears in this podcast it usually comes with uh negative connotations yeah Um, i think our last few times we talked about wcw have included Bobby Heenan going to WCW and having a terrible time. Mm-hmm. Scott Hall going to WCW and having uh, several relapses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goldberg being in WCW and just having a, a generally mishandled career. So I was very excited to go to look at some stuff at WCW where it was all good and fun and, and great, etc. <laughs> I mean, we can talk a little bit about Regal's style here because WCW at the time, their whole thing is they wanted to be like this global brand in the, the kind of early 90s and they wanted to get people in from all over the world so they would have you know luchadors they had people from japan but regal was one of the few people who was brought over with the european style what is this style can we describe it in any way like what how would you describe how regal handles himself in the ring i mean joe for me watching what he does he's not necessarily a high flyer but he's no. very entertained i mean all i can re- compare it to is the stuff i've seen in, in modern wrestling yeah which reminds me it's a lot kind of similar to like Zack Sabre Jr. sort of style and mm. Will Ospreay like map based grappling a lot of moves that are very kind of like I want to say like extra violent but they're not really it's just that they really make you feel pain on the victim's behalf yeah like he does a lot of moves like with the hand and like working the hand and working the legs and stuff like that it's very kind of yeah nasty are there any wrestlers like kind of who you're watching currently who you oh, yeah. can see similarities to? Pete Dunne, definitely, mm. immediately. Yeah. Would be my, my closest comparison. So obviously being in world of sport in the UK, being from Blackpool or from, from Staffordshire isn't necessarily a gimmick. But if you come to America straight away, your nationality, I guess, becomes a large part of your personality. I remember as a kid, I was like, I don't want to be a wrestler. And my friend's like, why not? It's like, because if I do, it'll just make me be a leprechaun or something, man. I don't want to. I, like, I was convinced that I couldn't be a wrestler because the, the, the character options would be too narrow. I mean, you're probably not wrong at the time. I mean, it's not exactly like WWE has the best history of uh, 
fair representation. <laughs> no, that's true. And thank you very much, Finn Balor, for showing that Irish people can be sexy on a large mainstream scale. I appreciate yep. that mm-hmm. a lot. So when he becomes Lord Stephen Regal when he moves to WCW. Now, you had some questions about his title, Joe. Yeah, because he's a lord. But, I mean... <laughs> They show a clip of him. Who is it he does this to? Uh, Bobby Eaton. Bobby Eaton, yeah. They, they show a clip in um, in WCW of, of him training him how to be English. I don't know, it's kind of like a pretty woman. Kind of, <laughs> I'll give you this whole makeover and then I'll, I'll take you to the Queen in Blackpool yeah, and we'll knight you. Bobby Eaton's like, you work on commission, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Big mistake. So I thought... I didn't realise it would actually end with them knighting him. But yeah. they do. And then Regal's in the background going, oh, this reminds me of when this happened to me and I was knighted. Right. So if you become a lord in the UK, or House of Lords is like mm. our upper chamber of, of parliament, do you get knighted? I don't think so. You don't? No. You have to wear know. that special coat, don't you? I don't know. I thought you get like get the weird you mix up like a Sith Lord type of thing. Sounds like silly enough for it us does. to yeah. be part of our tradition. So <laughs> the question is, and I think we should defer to Matt here, is William Regal actually a member of the House of Lords and we're just not sure? Because I know David Cameron was fast and loose with the honours. I list. bet he is. I think he is a he- in, the, in the House of Lords. I think he, he, I mean, he, he doesn't show up to the chamber much. He doesn't <laughs> yeah, yeah. vote. Probably most of his you know, votes are, are, are postal. He's very busy. Mm. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Oh, God, it'd be so good if he was, wouldn't it? Wouldn't yeah. it? Oh. It'd be now, great. This, we're never going to have progress in our upper chamber of... This is why people listen to the wrestling podcast. Mm. Parliamentary procedure, yeah? Yeah. But it's overstuffed the House of Lords, and you guys want to put more Lords in there. That's that's not the solution. Look, if we've got Lord Alan Sugar, I don't see why we can't have Lord William Regal. Honestly, I just don't see the difference. <laughs> I, think, I think the rest of them can go. Just Alan Sugar and, and William Regal. Yeah. yeah, the two parts of Britain's soul at play there. Yeah, <laughs> the yin and the yang. Now comes the time where I ask Joe about if you know any lords in your life and you can share with us uh, some of your stories of lordship. This is an unfair staged question to put me under pressure because you know the answer. I do, and the answer is brilliant. (laughs) My dad's cousin is a lord, yes. Do you, would you like me to elaborate that's, Yeah, further? obviously. <laughs> Come on. I, I know where you want me to go with this. Oh, yeah, I want him to say his name. <laughs> say it. <laughs> say his name. His name is Lord Archibald Brocklebank. Come on now. I mean, that's amazing. It yeah. is. Now, if, if William Regal ever hears this, he's going to go, damn it, I should have used that. Like, I thought Regal was a great, no. No, Archibald Brocklebank, yeah. Brockle. Wow. Brocklebank, yeah. So, Brock. There's Brockle. A... Okay. Yeah. Cold wow. bank, yeah. Brocklebank. Mm. That sounds absolutely incredible on mm-hmm. the ears. That's very good. I know the follow-up questions. I just wanted you to say the name. All right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it makes Benedict Cumberbatch look like John Smith. It I mean. does, Yeah. <laughs> Why do we have such stupid names in this country? I don't know. You tell me. Man, easy, you know? Oh, yeah. Easy peasy, you know? Spell it M-A-H-O-N. Easy. So, <laughs> right. Let's look at a match that I thought was, uh, well, it was very difficult to pick matches. And this seems really bad because I'm like, yeah, Regal's one of my favorite wrestlers. And I thought, you know, in the Ad podcast, we just finished up uh, our third season where we were looking at 2001, which is kind of a big William Regal time. We thought, all right, I'll ask the guys. Guys, we love William Regal. Lay me some matches. And they were like, um... And then I was like, shit, is there like no match? Like, I don't want to say mean, but he's not a guy that is necessarily known for s- 
singular matches, so to speak. Is that a fair assessment? Because hmm. I did have some difficulty. Not to say I didn't find fabulous matches. I did. But he's not like a top five matches type of guy, is he? Are you saying it's more about kind of body of work? Yes, yeah. I think so. I think he, that's fair. Because yeah. he's often, I think, when you play the villain, and particularly not the top, top bad guy in a show, you're often maybe used in a more of a functional capacity. So oftentimes I find like a lot of the matches I was looking back on through my you know, stuff I've covered of his for other shows, a lot of the matches were quite short sometimes. It was mm. a bit frustrating because he was always yeah. obviously very good. And I was very happy that we got a recommendation of this, which is Lord Steven Regal versus Ultimo, in inverted commas, Dragon, from WCW Slamboree 1997. Excuse me, I think you'll find that he is billed in this match as Ultimate Dragon. Yeah, now you know it's a great match when it starts off with a protracted discussion about if the dragon in question <laughs> is Ultimate, Ultimo, or, as I'm now thinking, perhaps he is the penultimate dragon. Oh, penultimate dragon. dragons. There, there has been. <laughs> yeah. And I'm coining penultimo if I happen to become ah, a dragon at any, any moment. Dragon. Penultimo. Like that. That's good. So he was known as ultimate dragon here. Yes. Why? That's confusing. I think it's because the commentary team assumed that the viewers of WCW would be confused by a non-English word. Oh. I'm not saying they're wrong in Slamboree, that assumption. Slamboree, though, that's perfectly normal. Part of our vocabulary for years. Slamboree. Slamboree. Yeah. Well, it's a word that's so difficult that Macho Man Randy Savage historically could never say it. He would always go, Slamboree, which is a bit difficult on the ears. So this is the perfect WCW setup. You've got a phenomenal athlete in Lord Stephen Regal with a unique style and a similarly phenomenal athlete in Ulti Dragon with a, with a unique style and a crowd full of people who don't really seem to care either way at the start. They don't know here to who, who to cheer for because neither of them are from America. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. they don't know who who the heel is. No, they're both just bad guys, yeah. Mm. Just, just boo them both. Because they both come out like playing up to negative stereotypes of their different yeah. countries. Like Regal is, is, is meant to be this snobby type character who's mouthing off to everyone. You've got Sonny Ono like taking loads of pictures on his camera because, you know, that's him. You know what? Fair fucks to Sonny Ono and WCW. I didn't think in the 10 seconds it took him to come out they could fit in any more stereotypes, but they got him in there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that the crowd just didn't decide to cheer the referee. Yeah. Or just the try. only American here, we're going to cheer him. USA, USA, USA. We, uh, we had Bobby Heenan on commentary. Yay! Yay! Did you pick this match for that reason? Yeah, I wanted you to see what it was like to have Bobby Heenan really not give two shits. Yeah, he certainly gave no shits at all. He was facing the camera though when they cut he was but Tony Schiavone wasn't facing Bobby Heenan in fact on his behalf I was quite offended yeah the the body language here there was was a lot going on very uncomfortable we had Tony Schiavone literally turn his back on Bobby Heenan and just talk to who was it the third guy on commentary it was Dusty Rhodes as far as I know incredibly rude when you want to talk to the person with a very clear voice like Dusty Rhodes when you get as much out of him as possible Bobby Heenan no one can say what he's saying half the time anyway so you know I think it's an argument for commentary teams to go to counselling yeah (laughs) you know yeah. just work it out there there's so many barriers between Tony and Bobby it's really sad to see like just needs to be heard (laughs) I hear you Were you this I mean this is like the first Regal match you saw, wasn't it? Oh, is it? I think it might be. I remember you saying 
we maybe watch oh no we oh, watched no. a match of his against Goldberg the oh. one where Goldberg that something went wrong if you've not listened to the episode I do recommend you check it out because it's, it's quite funny to hear it be told in its full extent so what happened between Stephen Regal and Goldberg then so basically Stephen Regal was told you're going to properly put on a proper match and it's going to go on for like 15 or so minutes and you know just go, go ahead as normal and Goldberg was told no you're going to go out you're going to do your normal thing of doing your finisher and you'll win but the, whatever happened miscommunication something someone wasn't told the true story <laughs> and as a result you've got Regal trying his best to put on a proper match you know, working the ankle, working the hand, things and like that. And it definitely wasn't a proper match. I don't no, think we could, yeah. you've got Goldberg yeah. literally getting anger and angrier as he realises he's actually got to work for this match. It was, uh, yeah, a bit awkward. So yeah. I'm glad that this was your first proper match of, yeah, of, proper of match. Mr. Regal you yeah. saw. What did you think to his stylings? Doing his stuff, doing all his, that? Doing his thing. I really liked it. I mean, it starts off, this match starts off quite slow. It, there's a lot of map-based moves, which, as I said before, it's kind of William Regal's sort of style. And is that like something that you like like to watch? Like, because a lot—I mean, it's not for everyone. I know there's people if they see the long grappling and the chain wrestling. Like, I know there's friends of mine who say they see that, like they they will fast forward because they don't like it. They want to get to the big boom, the big high spot. Mm. I don't know. There's something very uh, when it's done well. Oh yeah, no, I love yeah. it. I think it. I don't know. I really, really enjoy that kind of style of, of wrestling. I think it's kind of blink and you miss the value almost. Yeah. It's easy to overlook how clever that style of wrestling is. I really enjoyed it. Feels very NXT. It was not for the crowd here at the start. They were no. not interested in these kind of stylings at the start. Mm. Was anyone else very surprised to see Regal bust out a leapfrog in this one? <laughs> Oh yeah, that yeah. was frickin' incredible. Yeah, you know, unbelievable. I can't say I was surprised because I wasn't really sure what to even expect from this match, but it was very impressive. Yeah, I was, I was, I had not seen this match before we reviewed it. This was recommended to me, and I was around five minutes in. I was like, someone's fucking saw me down the river now and told me this is a great match yeah. and it's got to be all weird and boring and the crowd <laughs> won't like it. And they do the thing where Ultimate Dragon goes in the corner and he does this weird handstand thing. And William Regal, the constant professional, instead of going to hit him, just goes, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> my my favourite thing about the early moments of this match is when Regal makes his way to the ring, literally he's out on stage for about four seconds before he's he called someone in the crowd a toe rag. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love his insults. He goes to what? Toe rag? What's the other one you said that you really liked, Kevin? Cretin. Was it cretin? Oh, was it pathetic little horrible? I don't, he comes out with all these nasty oh, God, insults. No. The, besmirching was a, was a uh, oh, yeah. verb that was used a lot. I got in trouble in skill once. It was in the few times I got in trouble for calling someone a toe rag. Oh, really? And they were like, I know this person upset you, but you do not use language like that ever again. It is so disgusting. I was like, what? I called him a toe rag. And literally because I heard William Regal yeah. say it, <laughs> I got in trouble for, for using that. Like, I should call him a jabroni instead. I would have yeah, gotten in trouble. Fine, yeah. Easy. My, my other favourite thing about, about the first half of this match is there's a moment you mentioned that Dusty was on commentary. There's a moment where the commentary team are talking about Dusty being a past champion. Mm. And Dusty just goes, oh, hush. <laughs> <laughs> like a southern woman. Just, oh, Aww. hush, honey. 
modest. Something to say about these commentators, though. They, they, there's a guy in there, Mike Tenay, who was so important that he doesn't get shown on camera. He kind of joins them after that mm. bit. Oh, yeah. And he's there to do a lot of the heavy lifting. And bless him, but Mike Tenay wants to give everything a reason and a story. And he says, William Regal, he's the TV champion. And that's the only belt he wants because he doesn't want to be a United States champion because he thinks it's beneath him. And <laughs> he questions the disgracing of the WCW title by the NWO because they spray painted it. So Regal wants the TV title because that's the only one that's not dirty mm. or American. Wow, so <laughs> a lot of that. thought. Seriously, a lot of thought there. They hit each other very hard. Yes, they mm. do. Yes. The, the, the kicks that Ultimo Dragon does. They look very sore. Ooh, mm-hmm. man, it's absolutely horrible and sickening. Regal does put on a performance, though, that after around, you know, five or so minutes, he gets this crowd chanting Regal. Yeah. And I'm really impressed by it because it's almost like a war of attrition with this kind of crowd who aren't really sure what to make of it. And then, you know, usually in these matches, like, a big spot will happen and people are like, yay, someone did a big spot. But it's not like he just does a big crazy thing. It's just this struggle goes on and people mm. just end up siding with William Regal. And he gets this, <laughs> a let's go Steve Regal chant, which is so weird to hear with a southern accent. Like, <laughs> I think maybe the only one I've ever heard. Yeah. I don't think I'm equipped to fully explain why Sonny Ono took turns kicking both Steven Regal and Ultimo Dragon in this match. Oh, because I was hoping that you could. Yeah, I don't... I didn't get this. Don't trust Sonny Ono. That's, that, that's, that's what... That's Okay. Yeah, I, honestly, I've heard real-life advice. That's meant to be something as well. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's been described as being like Eric Bischoff and not in the good ways. He looks like Eric Bischoff. <laughs> he does, he's got the same hair. They're thick as thieves, apparently. Wait, really? good ways? Well, yeah, because he's... Bruises his own bear, um, you know. That's it? The ma- and he, he's fishes. Um, okay, I'm, yeah. <laughs> and um, he's made a career out of that, hasn't he? You know, those are the pos- Those are all the positives. Okay. Hashtag how to Bischoff. Right. <laughs> Play the music. <laughs> so we get into the uh, final stretch of this match where there are absurd amounts of roll-ups, kick-outs, the crowds who are now at this point where... They just want to see someone win this and they are really electric and super duper into it. And we get a little moment from William Regal, which Samoa Joe does all the time, where Ultimate Dragon tries to do a big dive. And I think the verb is noping. Oh, I like that. Yeah. He noped him. Yeah, totally. Basically, he goes to dive off and William Regal just... I keep calling him... I'm going to call him William Regal, okay? Because calling him Steve Regal is complicated for me just don't call him uh, Grandmaster Sexay once in, in the actor called him my main man Chilly Willy which oh. is uh, it also works if you don't want to call him Steven no. main man Chilly Willy no thank you no okay Just <laughs> <laughs> stick to his proper title Lord William Regal <laughs> um, <laughs> I've completely forgot oh saying. no there was something you were saying. Oh, it was the noping. You were the describing noping. the noping. Yeah, so he basically just, Ultimo Dragon jumps over and it's as though he's going to land on Regal, but Regal just nopes off. He just walks away. But the timing of it is so perfect. Like yeah. He hasn't even got his face to him and yet he manages to walk away just in the nick of time. It's so interesting seeing so many parts of this match which are like, at the time it's like, oh, no one has done this before. Mm. And now it's like stuff in this match which the crowd are, freaking out dude this is like part of the fabric of yeah. most yeah. wrestling styles now yeah yeah yeah. Like, yeah yeah there's so much of that in this match and all the matches that we covered there's so much of it which is in current wrestling it's my favourite thing in current wrestling now really like mm. the style of this match was so NXT it starts off so slow and map based and then gets really fast and vicious and then you've got the moments there like when he nopes 
Ultimo Dragon, which is very Samoa Joe. Yeah. So much of Pete Dunne in him as well. Like, mm-hmm. he's already obviously influenced current wrestling so significantly. It's that British strong style that people talk about now, where it's, you know, you're paying homage to the likes of World of Sports with the grappling and all that, and what, all that business. But then also, you're bringing in elements of Japan and Mexico with kind of mm. more high-impact things. It was an absolute joy to watch. Yeah. The match ends with Regal hitting a sick reverse suplex and the patented Regal stretch, which I'm pretty convinced after any sort of workout, would be lovely on the shoulder. Mm, I think so. You know, yeah. they get the twist open and all that. <laughs> so William Regal wins, and the, like at the end, the crowd are so into it, he does the Churchill victory pose. Like, Everyone yeah! does it with him, yeah. Go on, England! We love England here in North Kakalaki. <laughs> Guys, final thoughts on this match? It's it's great. And, and to echo what you were saying, it, it, it felt... It felt really modern. It this match was this is Pete Dunne versus Seth Rollins. Yeah, twenty one years you ago know? as well. That's what it you is. Know? It's yeah, and and I I didn't watch this when it first happened, so I don't know how it would have felt to watch it back then. But my guess would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so. But yeah, what a great match. Um, and the thing about Regal that I love his performance is his face does not stop doing stuff. Mm. At no point is his face turned off, and he's just wrestling. Everything is reflected in his face. He's, a, he's performing everything he does. That's so true. And for this time as well, when it's before the days of WWE doing those close camera shots where you really get to see everyone's expressions. Yeah. And a lot of wrestlers, I think even today, struggle with pulling faces in the middle of a match. I think mm. maybe it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. And the fact that William Regal is doing it here, even when you can't even see in detail what faces he's pulling, is so cool. Yeah, because when you watch stuff from the 80s, I remember a lot of the stuff we watched for the Macho Man episode even, and you can see like amazing performers and stuff, yeah. like Ricky Steamboat and, and Ric Flair and whatnot, but because they're not used to the cameras being on them, it's kind of like, all right, you can see them being like, all right, headlock now. Like mm. you, you can see yeah. the kind of the, the mass slipping, but the, yeah, there's never a moment. It's so interesting that Regal, who comes from the background of... You know the the kind of uh, the carnivals and whatnot in Blackpool, yeah. where it's almost it's like panto. It's like you're, you're performing the big over the top yeah. face yeah. expressions for the people in the back of the room, yeah, so yeah, they yeah. can know it. Absolutely. And like if someone's coming at you, seeing someone go <laughs> pulling your face is absolute gold. Like yeah, you're I love popping it. before the move even happens. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Joe, what star rating? Does this match get? I love this match. It's it's definitely a must watch, especially for for new and modern fans because. It's not like a lot of matches that we'll sometimes watch with older style wrestling where it's kind of like, ah, yeah, it would have been good back in the day, but to a current fan, nah, it doesn't doesn't hold up. It absolutely holds up. I gave it four stars out of five, which is wow. a very high rating it for is. me. You know, and no asterisks accompanying no those stars, which no. is pretty impressive. <laughs> I think the one thing I want to say about that whole time of Regal and WCW is that anytime people like talk about this period of these styles of matches they will list off a big long list of these like, great talents who were here putting on great matches that were kind of overlooked for the likes of Goldberg and Hogan and whatnot and they'll go Chris Jericho Dean Malenko Rey Mysterio Psychosis they will list everyone they'll get to Chris Benoit and Regal's name never comes up in that list and I don't know why because he's having those exact <laughs> matches yeah. yeah that's so strange because before we did the research for this episode, I wrongly assumed that William Regal's strengths were only really in his character and his performing as like an entertainer rather than as an athlete. Mm. But like, I won't spoil the ratings for all the other matches, but I loved 
all the wrestling of his I saw was like amongst my favorite wrestling I've ever seen. He's very, very, very good at wrestling. I think a lot of wrestling purists always put like, like you know, we we talked before we, we were recording about all the people he's influenced, and there's like you could go on and on and on. The people he's influenced, who've then trained people, who then inf- you know that influence passes on so much. You know, there's a lot of guys who wear that colour of maroon that William Regal yeah. has for yeah. a reason. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when people think of Regal, it's like, oh, he's the wrestler's wrestler. But honestly, I can't think of more of a big proponent of the entertainment and comedy side of wrestling than Regal himself. Mm. Like, famously, Daniel Bryan said in his book that when he joined the WWE, Regal went over to him and he's like a big fan of his and he said like, oh, congratulations, your wrestling career is over, by the way. Now you're an entertainer. And it's like, no one wants to hear the thing, oh, that's sacrilege. But you can have the two together. Mm. And that's when it becomes really enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. So he became a very, very well-known figure within wrestling from the exposure of WCW. And I think a lot of people have a lot of issues with WCW. And we'll probably continually discuss those as they come up along the way and this podcast progresses. But it always is very good at giving a lot of people national exposure. And it certainly made William Regal to be... A very very big star but I think the fame and the notoriety didn't come without a cost because I think around the end of 1997 he ended up being released from WCW now Regal has done a lot of very very upfront interviews including two lengthy ones on Cole Cabana's Art of Wrestling that I wholeheartedly recommend you check out he has a great book as well called uh, Walking a Golden Mile where he goes into some of this in more detail but it may have surprised a lot of people and I think you as well, Joe, to know that during that match which we were watching, he was in the midst of quite a bad addiction problem that was kind of, in many ways, spiralling and taking control of his life. And he ended up leaving WCW as a result of those problems. From what I've heard from his interviews and whatnot, like a lot of wrestlers, it starts, not say innocently enough, but it's like injury, painkillers, want to perform, yeah. need to perform, lots of dates, particularly if you're a poster like William Regal who would have been wrestling on every small little show that WCW did. So, Painkillers, you know, oh, The Road. Mm. He travelled with Steve Austin on The Road at the time and I think Steve Austin said, you know, that that was a particularly gruelling schedule that WCW guys were on at the time. Yeah. And I know that it kind of, it, it spiralled from there. There was a story I read where he was on an airplane, he was going to like Chicago or somewhere he was, you know, he was not really 100% aware of where he was and what he was doing. He was in the bathroom. The door was open. He was relieving himself. He turned around. He urinated on a stewardess. Oh, he woke no. up in a jail in Alaska. And he woke up and he didn't know where he was. Oh, my God. Now, we've got three anxious people sitting here talking on this podcast. <laughs> I can't think of a more earth-shatteringly terrifying thing than waking up somewhere you don't know behind bars. That's like, God, yeah, you know? And WCW didn't have no wellness policy. You know, they didn't really, you know. That's the thing. They're working them hard and and there was no support structure there. Yeah. It's so horrible to think just how many people went through that exact thing. Like, the the fact that so many people had that problem of getting injured, needing pain pills, and then it's your job is is to keep working through it. And yes, you're going to be in pain, but you kind of got to just accept that and get through it however you can and oh it just sucks to think of all the people who really needed help yeah and all i'll say is that if you're someone who kind of wants to know more about that the um the podcasts and the book and the interviews that we've mentioned they're really really interesting listens and i think they're really encouraging to know that like william regal 
there's no other way to say it than he's not the type of person when you see how well spoken he is and how kind of together he is and you know seeing him how meticulous he is in the ring and how he conducts himself you wouldn't think that he was someone who would be in that category of like kind of a going through a lot of chaotic times mm. i guess I, that's just the thing though like addiction can strike anyone at any time yeah. it kind of doesn't really matter who you are or where you come from yeah it's, it's the circumstances that can lead you there yeah. and you don't have the benefits anyway scott hall was someone we talked about in wcw who similarly had a lot of issues with addiction but i think he had i won't say the benefit but because he was such a big star there's almost a level of protection there kind of will will get you through this to an extent but I think Regal, because he was lower down the card, I don't think he was maybe... The fact that he had problems wasn't like, oh, we'll help you. It's like, you've got problems, so you know, you're a problem. But even with Scott Hall, I mean, was he really helped? Because as far as I remember, he was just ridiculed. They just gave him a lot of money, I yeah, guess. Yeah, here's a lot of money mm. while we make fun of your addiction. Yeah. That's not helping someone. No, it's, it's just... It's the part of wrestling that's really, really horrible. And like when you hear a wrestler's... You know, hear Roddy Piper and how he says, like, never trust a promoter. And then you hear stories like this and, like, the treatment mm-hmm. of people. It's just, I think, yeah. I think it's, I mean, I I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't want to, you know. But I think now it it wouldn't happen so easily. No. Mm. I think yeah. back then, if you'd asked the people in charge, their take would have been, it's it's not our job to, to look after these people. They're yeah. grown-ups. Whereas now, there are people in the staff structure that would say, no, part of our job is to look after these yeah. people. You know, I think that's the change and that, you know. Yeah, I think with well, like companies the size of WWE or WCW was, I mean, they have to assume a level of responsibility. They should yeah. have, you know. I think there was a lot less awareness back then, wasn't there? I'm yeah. just, just the mm. level of, oh, how dangerous pain pill addictions can <laughs> the be. The level of... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will get a spell check on that for you, uh, for, for later, folks. <laughs> <laughs> So he leaves WCW, and this is a really weird period in time. It's very, very strange. He leaves WCW because of his problems. He gets hired by WWF, and he says they didn't know about his problems, but very quickly figured out his problems. Mm. And this is like such horrible, horrible kind of stand, you know, happenstance. He goes to WWE. He, he's hoping that this is a fresh start. You know, things are going to be okay. In like his first match at a training camp that they did. He sprained his ankle, and then he was at home working on, you know, trying to stay off his ankle. He slipped and fell, and he broke oh, his leg, and he was no. out for several months. And then, you know, obviously, if you're somebody who's trying to get off a painkiller addiction, and then you just had a very bad, painful injury that's been exacerbated into a worse injury. Oh my god! So it was really, really horrible. And he was put in rehab by WWE, and this is one of those very, 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 very very rare cases where Vince McMahon seemingly does something not out of self-interest and does something just to genuinely help someone and he's often cited that WWE's decision to put him into rehab and help him through that period even though he'd been taken out of his contract it saved him so to speak yeah and I'm yeah that's it's nice to hear there are those little grains of stories out there that the company does look out for someone in those times and I think a lot of that as well is I think you've got to want the help anyway because i think there's gonna be a lot of cases in wrestling where people maybe even are aware of the fact that they've got an addiction problem but aren't at a place where they can fight it yet i think Mm. you have to really be in a place where you can accept help to to actually let it work you gotta reach rock bottom i guess in some cases and i think i don't think they realized it but the, the writers in wbf at the time and Vince Russo, like with the way that they, you know, when he was going through his problems in WWF, the way they opted to book him 
was certainly like it it I feel it exacerbated it made him it, it ridiculed him in a way I showed Joe the gimmick we can't not talk about the gimmick it, but it's it's one of those things where like it's like a little fun wrestling did you know William Regal had a silly gimmick but then when you couple it with at that time he was going through a very rough period and it yeah. was very dark but the real man's man um, I put on a clip of this <laughs> to show Joe him coming out to face Xbox at Survivor Series were you I mean what was your reaction to saying this I mean, it's it's funny in a way because it's a silly gimmick. And what, the gimmick, what is the gimmick? Okay, so the gimmick is that he comes out. He's wearing like a flannel, red checkered shirt type thing and a builder's hat. So at first, I thought the gimmick was that he was a builder, which I thought was again quite funny. But no, it's not that. It's that he's a real he's a real man's man. So he's the the ultimate of manly men. Hence the builder's hat, I guess. Yeah, we well, see Joe. And the final they, shirt. You you just saw the debut, I guess. See the vignettes really put over this gimmick. He did really manly things, okay, including. What is a manly thing? Okay, making your own orange juice. Oh, okay, yeah, right. Okay. I didn't know that was manly, but Mi- mixing your own cement. Okay. Yeah. Shaving with a straight cut razor. Hmm. Chopping down trees. Hmm. A montage of those four things in quick succession. Equals the, man. Equals man. Yeah. Okay. Vince Russo has been asked about this several times as to how he arrived at the conclusion that... I mean, you watch WCW, see, that's the gimmick right there, right? That's the thing, like, that's, it's like almost insulting to think that you could look at someone like William Regal and think, <laughs> yeah, here's a guy who who needs to be given a gimmick. Like, he, he is yeah. already the perfect... He's a he's an English guy who's a nasty, slimy heel. It's fantastic. That's perfect. You don't need to do anything else. It, 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 it seems to me that... Here's the thing, okay? <laughs> so, wrestling... You know wrestling. Wrestling <laughs> often has... Um, uh, let's let's say racist uh, characters, mm-hmm. yeah. characters where the whole character is he is a person from this country, yeah. she is a person from that country, though. So therefore, she does this and looks like this. So this this character, there's nothing English about it. It's no. a yeah. Canadian. Yeah, he dropped me down trees in a foul shirt. I know Canadians. That's Canadian. <laughs> so why do you put it on the English? It just seems so weird and a waste as well of having an English person because like yeah. we we are pretty despicable as a nation. We've done some horrible, detestable things. We're the best. <laughs> <laughs> so like you know, it's one of the rare instances where you can actually have a, a dirty villain based off an actual mm. accurate L- stereotype. Look, Vince, it's a stereotype you're allowed to yeah, use in right. good taste. Exactly. No one will be offended, okay? Even the English will be like, yeah, we hate him. Very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, for those who've listened to our episode, uh, or have suffered through our episode about Vince Russo and the mind of uh, the man who was writing a lot of Raw during, during the Attitude Era, Oof. his writing process was, bro, we go, we would watch Jerry Springer and we would see what we could do and put it on our WWF show. Now, there was no one English on Jerry Springer in 98. That's obviously what happened I, there. I have an idea as to how he got this gimmick idea. Oh, I've been really? thinking about this. Okay. It's like, okay, so William Regal, he's English. Who was English? Monty Python. What's their most one of their most famous sketches? The, the lumberjack, lumberjack sketch. sketch. Holy cow. Yeah, I think what we're if through, that's it? We're through the looking glass here because Russo said the reason he gave him the gimmick is that I see this guy and I go, bro, the, the guy on the brawny paper towels. 
Have you, do you know if you're aware of the God. brand Brawny in America? I had to Google this. So it's basically a man in a flannel shirt with a log over. It's just a caricature of a, of a lumberjack. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the reason Russo thought that is the first time he saw William Regal, he was probably wearing a check shirt. <laughs> Oh, I bet it was. It has to be. Why else would you look at him and I go... I think he was literally holding those paper towels in his hand and was like, I just can't think of a gimmick for this nasty Englishman, bro. So the real man's man, where it was going to go, right, this was... The, unfortunately, he, he he was let go or was, was gone by the time the, the gimmick could reach its full How fruition. Sad. How a, sad. What a waste. Yeah, as, as fun as it was to see William Regal struggle through this horrible character, um, where it was going to go was that the real man's man, this manliness was actually just a facade to disguise the fact that he was actually a, a man's man, if you know what I mean, in that he was a man who was gay. Okay, so that also feeds into my yeah. theory that he just nicked it from the, the lumberjack. The Monty Python stuff. thing. Yeah, because wow. we know, we said in the Vince Russo's episode, didn't I call it then that he's a Monty Python fan? Of course he is, Because yeah. of wow. the, the lack of a punchline, he doesn't yeah. ever had to end anything. There was going to be a stable. Yeah. We're going to have a guy with a funny walk. Yeah. <laughs> and now guys... for me to drop loads of red viscous liquid into the ring. I'm just saying we are lucky that we never had a fish fight match in Vince <laughs> oh! era. Are you saying oh, lucky? lucky? Oh, <laughs> Wait a minute. Braun Strowman, he's got a carp. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's the Gumbies. <laughs> oh, my word. So, yeah, Regal was, uh, they were going down that route with him because they did a horrible Same segment with him course. and the Godfather and the Godfather father who's a wrestling pimp who would come out to the ring with prostitutes and offer them to his opponent and regal yeah. said yeah i'll take those uh, prostitutes because i'm a real man's man and then godfather said nah you ain't gonna have them because england ain't nothing but a place full of word we don't use anymore so uh, oh. or shouldn't have ever <laughs> so yeah that's where that was going Yep, well done as well for for finding the only way to offend the English. The the only offensive stereotype, really, that we have. Is that a stereotype? It is in America, yeah, Mm. that the English are all gay, yeah. What? Because we speak like this, I guess. Oh, yeah. How how gay of you! Like. I know they have this idea that we're all like overly verbose people who wear ties all the time. Oh, yeah. shit! Don't worry, Matt. Matt, you can say you're in your PJs. It's okay. It's an audio podcast. Totally not wearing a tie. <laughs> Don't Google image search me. <laughs> I would think that this is a period of time where. I mean, this is where Regal's going through a lot of very dark stuff. I mean, the problem was he does the real man's man. He's slurring his words. It's really hard just to see him go through this. And like on Cole Cabana's podcast, he asks him about it. And you know, Cole always likes to talk about the silly gimmicks, but you kind of think, well, there's nothing silly about this. Mm-hmm. And Regal just says, no, I was happy to do it because it's all I deserved at the time because I wasn't in a fit place. And God, that's like humble to, yeah. you know, you've maxed out the humble branch of that tree there, my friend. So it's the deal with that then. Did he just not think that he could give justice to the gimmick of him being a nasty Englishman. Like, did he think he'd, like, do it badly or something at this point in his life? Or is it that he genuinely doesn't think he deserves? I think he didn't feel he was in a position to be, like, no, I want to do something else. I don't Mm. think this is right. I think he was just like, I'm here to do a job and I'm going to do it and just get on with it and I'm not really doing the job well enough to to ask for more. I don't know. Because the gimmick itself... Other than the fact that he's supposed to be a closeted homosexual, I don't think the gimmick itself is bad. It just is bad for William Regal. Of yeah. all people, why would you give him this like man's man gimmick? Like 
would be a great gimmick for Tyler Bate or someone. Oh! There's a couple of people I can think of who could pull it off very, very well. But it's just the fact that it's, it's not him yeah. and it's nothing to do with him. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like they always say that the best the best gimmick is you turned up to yeah. 11 and that's nothing to do with him no, no that's yeah. him with another CD put in the rack and it's the wrong one like you put it in the wrong case why have you done that like? yeah. and also Vince Russo while we're at it fuck you for ruining the sound of a steam whistle at the start of a wrestling entrance team that's a cracking sound a blue collar worker gimmick who's a at the start that's the noise knowing that they're going to come to the ring they're going to cause some havoc then they're going to go back to the shop and make corrugated iron afterwards that, why haven't we got that it's been ruined now it's a shame this is a strange thing that you like I, I, li- I like wrestlers who say a little thing at the start of their thing like when Ron Simpson says well I'll be damned and their music plays okay. or if there's a sound effect you or know. if they have a little towel or if they have a little towel. See, that's what I was saying earlier about I like Trish Stratus's little giggle. At yeah, the I did, 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 did. and the oh. point, and the point, mm-hmm. and the makes point. me cry sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> so William Regal was reintroduced in the year 2000. Then as William Regal, the Goodwill Ambassador, and this is the character who most of us are kind of very familiar with. I remember the real man's man gimmick from when I first started watching wrestling vaguely. And when he returned, I didn't even know it was him. Really? What did you think mm. of the real man's man gimmick back uh, in the day? It's weird. Yeah? Like, but like, this is like when I first started watching wrestling where, much like the regal peeked through the curtain and it's kind of all these crazy characters. I liked, what drew me to wrestling was, there were guys dressed as bikers, there was you know a guy in a shirt and tie, there was a crazy <laughs> demon, there were all, you know, I liked the fact that everyone was all dressed up all weird and different. Like, right. One of my favourite characters was the big boss man because he was dressed up like a SWAT guy. Right. So the real man's man, I just remember thinking, okay, there's a lumberjack. But I didn't see him much. And I certainly didn't think when he returned reading... Like, his return is so perfect. He's like, hello, I'm William Regal. I'm going to read some Hamlet now. And Steve Austin's like, eh, eh. He does it as well. Just to preface this, he he says that it's to educate the citizens of America because they wouldn't have read any of the great works of William Shakespeare. And why would you start with Hamlet? (laughs) That's the the worst introductory Shakespeare play. I love it. you got to be coming there with a little bit of Midsummer Night's Dream. That's the heel play is Hamlet. (laughs) If you're a wrestling fan, you start with Macbeth. Yeah. yeah, come on. <laughs> the obvious parallels there. Yeah. The other segment from Regal first starting uh, back as this new character was him teaching everyone polite table manners. Oh, yeah. Which, have to say, I mean, he, he got all of them right. He knows his table manners. Yeah, how to handle the linen, you know. Yeah, the which way to use all the cutlery, mm-hmm. which can He's, be confusing. I learned something new, which is when you have got something on your face and you're going to use your cloth napkin... You don't wipe or smear. He said that's for another orifice. (laughs) You simply dab politely. And the flower on the table doesn't need to be a rose. A pansy will suffice. Mm -hmm. So there you go. It's pretty helpful. I would have quite enjoyed it if he'd just done a whole series of these. I adored everything about this because the Americans hated it so much. And this was like during the kind of the second wind of the Attitude Era where they were having characters that were slightly less crass. You know, and you could be a bad guy by doing things other than chopping someone's penis off. You could be a hard bad... to imagine. Hard to imagine <laughs> that there's any kind of area between those. He would come out and be like, you know, I really want to help you people because like, I think this is a fabulous country. 
but you just don't know how deodorant works. And if you just have a little look, you just under each arm, yes, once, twice a day. And that's great as well, because again, that's very English. Yes. The whole idea of mm. you compliment someone, it sounds like you're saying something really nice, but actually it's really backhanded yeah. and you're insulting them. That's again, that's a core traditional value of the English. Yeah. I think I know one of the reasons why it works so well if, in my mind is that like I think of Stone Cold Steve Austin doing cool Steve Austin things Jim Ross is going like, oh my god you know and that that's the, the, the kind of the soundtrack to it any of William Regal's kind of pompous things he was doing it's always like Jim Ross going well we ain't got no crumpets in Oklahoma King I don't, <laughs> I don't know about no queen we ain't got no gnats in Oklahoma like you know I, I kind of that really sells it as well yeah, that you've got this yeah. down to earth southern yeah. boy who's like it. Why has this guy got a three-piece yeah. suit? What is wrong <laughs> with wearing a sports coat? And it, and it goes back to to the sort of rule about heels that every good heel doesn't know they're a heel. Yes. Yeah. He's just trying to help, yeah. damn it. You know, why are you getting <laughs> so pissed off at him? Like, his his big evil villain taunt that he would do was that he would do a full-bodied wave enthusiastically to the crowd. The big smile it was so well. great. <laughs> Wiping his feet before he comes I into the ring. I love that, yeah. You know? Which, on the, the rare occasions when I go into a wrestling ring for various reasons I always do that before yeah. I do I always it's good, it's good yeah. manners <laughs> gotta respect the ring it's manners <laughs> I have to ask yeah. what is a goodwill ambassador a goodwill ambassador I think it's like one of those uh, this is probably like, we do all these different areas from WWE and you want to know what all these roles mean like what's the difference between a general manager and a commissioner sorry uh, these are the, the questions I have a president and a spokesperson I think a goodwill ambassador it would have been implied that he had just been given this title as a means for him to appear on TV like okay so his official job was to 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 let the fans know that there's a few things that they're missing and he said as well he wasn't doing it just for the fans it was for the the fans who had young children and they may not have the time to teach them how to wash yeah <laughs> you know so okay. he was just prov- he was there to provide a good civil service. <laughs> that was all he was doing. You so know? it's the, the idea that he was hired by Vince. Yeah, because very quickly after becoming the Goodwill Ambassador, it was revealed that he was like he was Vince's guy, and Vince yeah. was just like enamored, like, oh look at this guy, he's English. Like, <laughs> he's got a pocket yeah. square and everything. Like, look, he's got a little watch in his pocket. That's amazing. <laughs> and he became then the commissioner after that. Okay, and how is that different from a Goodwill Ambassador? The commissioner was actually in charge of deciding who would. Book, you know, who would fight? He would wrestle the matches. Oh, okay, so the Goodwill Ambassador doesn't have that power. No, the Goodwill Ambassador would just have yeah. a bit of time to come out and right. wave. And, Teach manners. Yeah. And yeah. have Chris Jericho destroy his, his table set, like, stuff like that. Right, okay. But yeah. the Commissioner is, is much like William Regal's role in NXT now, or, say, Paige on SmackDown. You know, like, they, they book the matches. Mm. And this is how much of a heel it was for me as a kid, right? The general manager, the Commissioner before him, was Mick Foley. Wow, okay. He would do loads of fun things and would always like have cuddly toys and he would, you know, his office would sometimes be a like random place like he'd be in the back of a of a pickup truck or he'd be in a forklift driving around you know, with his little gavel making matches. And that was the most fun thing ever. And then he got fired. And they did a match where it's like if Al Snow wins, Mick Foley's going to come back and be the commissioner and his opponent was William Regal. And then William Regal won. I remember like my cousin was like that means he's going to be making all the matches. And we're like, oh no, a horrible Englishman's going to win. <laughs> but we wanted Mick Foley. Aww. He's no. <laughs> and it was like literally the worst thing that could have happened as a young fan. It's just wow. this English snob was going to book the show. So did you hate him then? 
I did, but it was the. I think it was one of those things that made me realize. Okay, heels can entertain me. Right. Because up until that point, I would have been like maybe twelve when this happened. Up until that point, it was like, oh, the Boston's gonna win. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry because Steve Austin's not gonna get the match he deserves at Backlash. <laughs> Whereas I was getting to the point now, Regal made me realize, oh wait, he can be funny and silly, and at the same time be a character who on TV I hate. It's like you were saying earlier, Matt, that he endeared himself. Yeah, he gives you the wink. He does. You know. And yeah. sometimes that wink might be him drinking a cup of piss. Yeah. And that is quite a big wink. No, it's the face he pulls when he drinks oh. the piss. That's the wink. Do you do you know the do you know the context of William Regal drinking piss on, on telly? I don't know if I know the full context. I know some context. Okay, lay it lay it on us then. So he actually I can't even remember how the lead up to this. Why on earth? Jericho even has access or wants to piss in his teeth. He didn't like William Regal. Is that it? It's just literally doesn't he like him? Because Jericho likes rock and roll, baby! If Jericho right. was of the opinion that he should shut the hell up. Yeah. Right, okay. Joe, he wouldn't. He wouldn't, it wouldn't do it. It was Radio 2 taken on Radio 3, basically. It's what it was, you oh, know. Radio 2, that's harsh. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I agree, but it's harsh. Come on now. He, wow. Jericho's Steve Wright in the afternoon. You know, he, <laughs> Come on, baby! Let's listen to Queen! Oh, that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with the bangers. Come on, baby. <laughs> so, yeah, he didn't like that he was all pompous, so he pissed in his tea. And then Willie Regal came back later and poured himself a cup. And, like, you... I don't know if you know much about this, Matt, like his comedic influences, because the way he sells these things, it's like he has yeah. to be watching some of the classic British comedy. Mm. I know, because that's, that's the relationship we have, is that he's a huge fan of sort of classic British comedy. He adores people like Tommy Cooper. Ah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, w- whenever he does that, that's what's in his head, is right. Tommy Cooper and Malcolm and Wise and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, the timing of him... Drinking the tea, because while he's trying to drink the tea, he's building this tea set up. He's all really excited to have his cup of tea, his special tea set. And then a guy comes in, I forget who or even if I know who it is, and tries to stop him from drinking the piss tea. And he's like, no, no, stop. William Regal, you mustn't drink the tea. He's like, shut up, let me drink my tea. (laughs) Let me drink my piss in peace. Just give me a second to drink this piss tea. Um, Then he drinks the tea and then he takes a second, like takes a second sip and then pulls the face. And just the timing and the face together in, in harmony are what make that moment so special and funny. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, the other element with him being the commissioner that I absolutely loved was that they made him out to be so utterly clueless. Like, in this really specific way. Like, Tajiri, one of my favourite wrestlers ever. And, like, Tajiri was one of these wrestlers who I'd only heard about in whispers from my friends who watched ECW lots. And, like, he's a killer, this guy. He kicks people for real like he literally he's so dangerous and like ECW gets bought by WWE and a few people start appearing and Tajiri appears you know in kayfabe you know wearing nice shirt and slacks I just I feel like I need to point out as well because you missed a big part of Tajiri and why he was so scary okay is the green mist yes Tajiri mm-hmm. could inexplicably summon green poison from yeah. his mouth and spray it in your face yeah and then he's here in WWE with the, like really nicely dressed yeah, and nice like, polo shirt nice slacks on him William Regal's like assistant yeah so the in kayfabe what happens was Tajiri shows up basically saying I am here to wrestle and I would like a job please as a wrestler but because Tajiri and kayfabe can speak no English 
William Regal's like, oh, well, I mean, if you want a job, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, someone needs to clean up around here and kind of polish the suit of armor. Racist. And, you know, make sure that the picture of the queen isn't a jar or anything like that. <laughs> and we got this, like, several-month period where Tajiri is William Regal's, like, house boy type so to speak <laughs> but, but the great thing is I think I think probably most people watching knew to Jerry yeah so everyone watching going oh at some point he's gonna kick his fucking yeah. head off yeah we're just waiting for that moment so Regal's like the butt of the joke here isn't he, he because is. everyone knows yeah. this yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no that's to oh you know, it's not just another Guy. It's like you've got the hottest signing ever and you've got him like toasting crumpets. Wait like. till he, yeah. yeah wait, <laughs> and wait. the thing is like, Tajiri seems so happy in this role as well. Like, he's like happily nodding away and very, very helpful and yeah. doing whatever he can to make Regal happy. As, as, there was one point where like as a, because uh, he'd been doing such a good job, he's like, and I know you're very excited Tajiri and that's why tonight I'm going to give you a spot on the commentary team and he gets to go out and he, just, he calls a match in Japanese. That's like, awesome! Super enthusiastic. Like he loves, he loves Kane he's like yeah talking in Japanese with Kane doing the big choke slam and when they finally had him do a match it was like the King of the Ring uh, qualifying uh, tournament and Regal was like alright you've been at me somehow speaking in Japanese well they have this kind of weird relationship where they can kind of they both talk in their native tongues but understand each other Mm. it is like the closest thing I think of is like an R2-D2 C-3PO where there's somehow even though they don't know what the actual language is. They seem to understand each other very, very clearly. Mm. They have an unspoken kind of even, communication. Even. I, I need somebody on the internet now to dub Regorn Tajiri's voices onto a scene of C-3PO and R2-D2. Sorry, do it now, please. Thank you. Yeah, and if Regal has ever called Tajiri a miserable bucket of bolts, I need <laughs> to know that as well. But like, Steve Austin at one point comes along and says to Regal, he's like, well, I need, a, I need a person to talk to about my problems. I need a friend, a confidant. And Regal's like, yes, of course, I'll speak to you any time. And Stone Cold's like, no, you idiot. I want Tajiri. <laughs> and again, he's able to communicate with Tajiri Jiri, even though neither of them speak the other's language, but they both seem to understand perfectly what's going on. Yeah, Austin just complains for 10 minutes and then Tajiri says, hi, and then Austin goes, God dang, you're so wise, Tajiri. <laughs> it's true what they say about you. Uh, wise boy under years. But when, like, when Regal finally gave him a match and it's so funny, if Tajiri coming out like in his proper ECW gear to Willie Regal's midi trumpets. Love that theme. And Regal's like, hello, yes, you're all here to see me. This this guy's going to do a little wrestle now. (laughs) And he has a match with like Crash Holly or whatever and he kills him with all these kicks. And Regal, again, with all the facials, he's like both horrified and delighted. And it's like, I'm somehow this works in my favor, but I'm also a little scared because I may have treated this guy a bit shit. And also, can I just say big ups to Tajiri's trousers. His ring gear. Best trousers in wrestling. Oh yeah, just around the house. Those are top of the list. Very, very nice. Very swishy trousers. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, this is a very exciting moment for us because it's very rare when you can spend a long time talking about one aspect of someone's character and then there very handily is one match which sums up all the things that make that character very, very amazing. This is Chris Jericho versus William Regal at Backlash 2001. This is the Duchess of Queensbury Rules match. (laughs) Now, I'm pretty sure I've heard Englishmen in... You know, as depicted on TV, going, come on now, I'll fight you. Queensbury rules. Yes. Are those. No. 
Oh, okay. That would be the Marquis of Queensbury rules. Oh, which I is see. A real set of rules for bare knuckle boxing. And uh, <laughs> now, forgive my naivety of assuming that bare knuckle boxing has no rules. But there are... Well, you can't wear gloves. Oh, I guess. <laughs> That's true, yeah. I would have thought there's lots of rules in bare knuckle. I mean, surely there has to be to protect everyone. I- I'm yeah. not familiar at all with this uh, On the spot, what are Marcus of Queensbury rules if you know them? I don't know. I, I just assumed you would. <laughs> Comedy performer. <laughs> You've got a tie on, Matt. I just would have assumed these things. Like, <laughs> no, know? but I know that it's a real thing. It is a real thing. Okay. Yeah, or was. I and... thought it might be like a, I don't know, a traditional dueling thing. You know, the whole tradition of sapping someone with a glove and you get uh, to yes. duel. Oh, okay, yeah, that's also a thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, Mar- you said Marcus of Queensbury. Yeah. That's not just some bloke named Marcus. That's a that's a the, yeah. A, a Marcus is that like a count or a lord or a duke or an mm-hmm. Arch Wellington? Is that of, of of the three of us? You would know best. You are the most connected. With I don't royalty. know. I've never heard this word before. Yo, get Lord Archie Bronklebankle on the phone. <laughs> I got me a yeah. question. <laughs> Okay, so the Duchess of Queensbury rules match. I really thought, sorry to go back to the Queensbury thing, yeah. I really thought that was a made-up thing. Like, I know the, the rules of the match is made up, but Queensbury specifically I thought was picked yeah, by no. an American because it sounded very English. Mm. And, and now I've got, I've got some data. Oh, fabulous. Oh, I love the data. The Duchess of Queensbury was a real person. Really? <gasps> um, she lived from 1701 to 1777. Her name, ready for this, was Catherine Hyde, but she was known as Kitty. Aww. Oh, she was an English socialite uh, who was known for her beauty and fashion sense. Uh, there you go, just like the uh, Duchess of Queensbury here in this match, but also known. This was not her, really, because there is a lady who they have out here. We should explain. Yeah. There's a lady because William Regal has asked for this match to be under Duchess of Queensbury rules. It's essentially a farce that no one knows the rules except him, and he won't tell anyone. And then immediately he introduces there's this very fancy lady in a very like poofy dress with appears to be the hair pieces that the English that the colonial the colonial English would have worn uh, when they were taking over America. Mm. Essentially, yeah, big white wig. So you know a little bit about this lady then? The woman that played the Duchess of Queensbury. Oh, I did research on the train. <laughs> How do you even research this? This you is put, amazing. Oh, it, no, it, it did take a while. Her name is, is Sue. Sue? Sue Aitchison. Okay. Hello, Sue Aitchison. And she worked for WWE. She was not a performer. She was the head of the Make-A-Wish section of WWE. Are really? you kidding me? And she won an award, the highest honour bestowed by the Make-A-Wish Foundation. She her, her job for thirty years was to deliver those Make a Wish things. Wow! Whoa. What a nice woman! And she gets to be the Duchess of Queensbury. And she gets the the commentators to say how ugly she is constantly throughout the match, which is very unfair because she not. is not an ugly woman by Absolutely any fine. means. Maybe it was that was one of the heel children's <laughs> wish. It's like my wish is for you to be ridiculed over and over again. Also, to be the Duchess of Queensbury, you have to have won that award because if so. John Cena has also won that award. He could have been the Duchess of Queensbury. Like he should be next in the dress. Yeah. I just think he would rock that wig because you know he's got the Lego head. It would slip on. Lego and head. It does. Yeah. Mm. It'd go on right easy, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, I can imagine so that. Yeah. There's a moment in this match where where Jim Ross. So someone mentions that that the Duchess of Queensbury is carrying a scepter, mm. and Jim Ross says. In the most, dis- like, it's the craziest, most revolting thing he's ever heard. A woman carrying a scepter. <laughs> Everyone knows. It's like, what, a woman what? doesn't carry her own scepter. It's carried for you on a tiny velvet cushion. I don't know this because I'm not blue-blooded like you. See, if he, if yeah. he had prefaced that with groan, <laughs> a groan woman <laughs> carrying a scepter, then it becomes more, more relatable, I guess. <laughs> I did like William Regal being very, very protective of the Duchess at the start when... Uh, 
astute journalist Jonathan Coachman was trying to get a word in with the Duchess and he said that if he didn't bugger off he was going to send him back to calling potato sack races or whatever it was you did in Kansas City <laughs> oh, Ooh, so good. very very particular uh, set of cutting remarks there <laughs> Joe you had a bit of issue with the aesthetic of the pay-per-view and the aesthetic of the match at the same time regarding the hooks oh yeah I forgot about the Massive swinging hooks. It's okay. It's just so strange to see this as a current wrestling fan when all the shows are kind of branded fairly consistently, with the exception of like Evolution, which didn't get any branding for some reason. This particular show, it's all about swinging meat hooks covered in spikes, and all the graphics they use are very steel grey and very bold impact type font faces. And they've got a guitar sound that sounds like swinging hooks. There's a lot of that, and the hooks move on the the stage as well. Yeah, they've massive moving hooks, and then every time they show like a graphic ident or anything, again, they've got these massive aggressive swinging hooks. And Jeff Hardy on this pay-per-view had sideburns in the same shape as those hooks, and I don't think he knew. No? Like, he shows up to the pay-per-view, God, God, someone's got the same age. Oh, Oh, God. Someone's got to go change. Got to go change. (laughs) But the funny thing about this wasn't the big swinging hooks. It was the contrast of the big swinging hooks and... The really like aggressive, metallic, manly typefaces they used. In contrast with William Regal's entrance music with the MIDI trumpets. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> I think so on this time tron as well, where most this is during the time where most people had like clips of them doing their finishing moves and all stuff like that. His would just be fl- like ethereal whooshing words saying things like dignity. Class, yeah. doing up your top button. I'm <laughs> waving and stuff very nicely. But Not yeah. <laughs> and then you've got this Duchess dressed like, I don't know, like a member of royalty from the it's 16th French century. It's French royalty, isn't it? it? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that kind of fashion influence did find its way over to England at some point in the 17th century, maybe. All I'm just saying, I don't know if it speaks to some sort of underlying inherent misogyny in me, but mm. when I saw her, my mind went to guillotines quite quickly, like, yeah. you know. Yeah, Marie Antoinette, that kind of yeah. let them eat cake. I don't want to behead every woman I see. Mm. Just this one is yeah. that it appeared that that might be an ultimate fate for her. Okay, well, maybe you need to work that out in therapy. I, I don't know. <laughs> Couldn't say. But the, the seeing her dressed like that walking through all the swinging spikes <laughs> to William Regal's MIDI trumpets playing the silly music was one of the funniest things I've ever seen and I just want to get that clip out of context mm. and put it on our Facebook page <laughs> you know it just it speaks that Regal's his mission as a goodwill ambassador he's trying to bring civilian class to this metallic swinging yeah. heavy yeah. metal yeah. world yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that uh Regal insists that JR and Paul Heyman stand up when she comes Quite to sit. Quite right. Is that special chair that she has? Is that for all royalty? Or it's is a throne, that, isn't it? Is it, is a, it is a throne. Well, yes, obviously it's a throne. <laughs> like a red rocking chair. It did look like a rocking chair. And how much other royalty has been ringside at a pay-per-view? Exactly. They probably just rented it. Yeah. Now, you've got Paul Heyman on commentary who... Knows the rules. He knows the rules. He keeps pretending (laughs) he knows the rules. It's interesting because he keeps saying like, oh, JR, you didn't go to that production meeting we had earlier. They made it very, very clear what the rules of this match are. I'm not going to tell you now because you didn't do your research. You're a bad employee. (laughs) 
Heyman lasts maybe two minutes before he manages to find a culturally insensitive thing about the British to say. Yeah. Hats off to you. You found a way. What did he say? He said, it's not fair to mock the Duchess of Queensbury. She's still mourning the death of Princess Diana. Oh, yes. Whoa, right for the chicken straight away. Like. Yeah, I mean, is that... That's not that shocking, is it, to say? I don't know. For some British folks, it would be. What year was this again? 2001. Oh, yeah, I guess that was a little soon. <laughs> when, 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 when was she murdered by the royal family? <laughs> Sorry, died in an accident. Um, what was it? Ni- God, ni- late, si- late 90s? I 97. I thought it was 99. 97, 98, I thought. It's pretty, I mean... Hey, Google! When did Princess Diana die? Princess Diana died on the 31st of August, 1997. Oh, 97. Oh, okay, I mean, that is like four years later. So, yeah, the match begins, even though no one knows what's actually going to happen. And Jericho basically beats the shit out of Regal. They have this very competitive back and forth and all that, but Jericho is kind of, he's beating him to the punch. And then Jericho hits the lion's salt, and it's very much a bell rings, and everyone's like, yay, Chris Jericho. But no, you can't win the match though, right? Yeah, so the the Duchess of Queensbury says that he can't possibly have win there by pin because the the first round has expired. They've not ran out of time, it's expired, it's gone off. That rounds wasn't even like used in World of Sport towards the end of its tenure, like that is the most cumbersome thing to randomly include. It also implies that there's only two rounds to this. No, as we all know, there's one round that lasts like two minutes, and then there's an indeterminately long second round that <laughs> happens after that. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. We all knew that. Now, what I like very much about the next sequence of the match is that Regal is constantly putting Jericho in submission holes. He gets him in the Regal stretch, he's working on all the, the different body parts, he's trying to get Jericho to tap out, and Jericho gets the walls of Jericho in, and Regal taps, and then we get the bell and Jericho's music playing and Howard Finger's like ladies and gentlemen and the Duchess is like no no because as again we all know the Duchess of Queensbury rules state very clearly that you can't win via submission so of course Jericho shouldn't have even tried to put in the walls of Jericho we all knew it's embarrassing that he tried it, it is, is honestly, really should yeah. have just found out the rules I mean Americans they, they aren't the smartest are no, they true. something about JR saying damn that duchess <laughs> <laughs> you know it feels like that's a Hanna-Barbera cartoon that could have really been made but <laughs> the Duchess of Queensbury is like the kid, the pigeon that couldn't be caught like damn that yeah. duchess what I really like about this match is the fact that I, going into this hearing that the rules were a bit sneaky I thought it was all going to be down to William Regal being the one manipulating the rules. Yeah. I like the fact that it's the Queen, it's the Duchess of Queensbury who keeps stopping the match to go, no, 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 that's not in the rules. The rules say this instead. So it's not even Regal being the mastermind manipulator or necessarily mm. having paid her off. Yeah. It might well be that, you know, he is going along with this. Or it's just that it's a very, like, if it's not that case, it's such a complex yeah. web. Like, she's probably got like a hundred bullet points. If this happens, yeah. then that yeah. has to happen. Yeah. Ring the bell of this, 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 and this. Like, <laughs> the reason he's so protected of her is because he had to vet her so fucking much before yeah. this. And I love that he, he hits her with this, he hits Jericho with the scepter and like lays her out. It's only at this point, like 10 minutes in, that JR's like, I'm starting to think she's not even a real duchess. (laughs) The penny starts to slowly drop. Like Then we get a great bit where William Regal, he has to borrow the Duchess of Queensbury's royal scepter 
to attack Jericho, which, I mean, that's a very bold move, as we all know, you don't just go taking a duchess's scepter for no reason. Well, we know the old adage. Yeah. I'm sure people will tweet in and tell us that famous adage. Mm -hmm. You know it's there, it exists. You must never take a duchess of Queensbury's scepter unless it's to to attack an American. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only circumstance. Wait, Jericho's Canadian, though. He did it improperly. Oh, crap. Oh, my God. International incident. Send an email. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, yeah, under normal match rules, that would mean that Regal would be disqualified. Yeah. So then they try and end the match there and saying, oh, you know, he's been disqualified now because he he used an appropriate weapon. But the Duchess of Queensbury says there are no DQs in this match. Damn that Duchess. Yeah, wily. But I do like the straight away after announcing that Jericho does like, there's a logic to this because as soon as she says that, Jericho immediately goes for William Regal's penis and starts kicking him in the nuts mm-hmm. and doing all the dirty moves yep. possible. <laughs> and then I've written down here, Chris Jericho does an international incident to the Duchess. Yeah, <laughs> that is yes. about as accurate as you can summarise it. I mean, you got a wealthy dowager in a sketch or a bit, she's going to get hit with a cream pie, and the cream pie of 2001 is a painful submission move. <laughs> I mean... It's very weird. This then you've told me all yeah. this lady's credentials. Now it's even weirder, Matt. Sue, <laughs> Sue Aitchison. God, yeah. Sue, would you go out there and get put in the walls of Jericho? We need a hot finish for the match. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I would. I would be honoured to play that role of yeah. just the Queensbury. Mm. Get to do all of that and then get put in the walls of Jericho. Well, That's I've seen a your fine se- way to go. I've seen your scepter work. It's very, very articulate. Like, I mean, it's know? no Duchess of Queensbury, but it's it's okay. There's a kind of a miserable end to this where, <laughs> like, Regal's one of those guys where when we when we do the matches, often I'm like, I don't want to pick matches where they always lose because it makes them seem like a loser or whatever. And I like that William Regal in the match we pick where he is victorious. It's not like he hits his finisher. Like in this match, he just hits him with a chair loads and loads and then yeah. just wins. <laughs> it's such yeah. a damp, yeah. miserable. This reminds me of the time my brother unplugged my controller in No Mercy and just beat me uh. in 10 seconds. Like, Fine, you win, I guess. It is, it is what is this, 2001? Yeah. It is the most 2001 ending. Jericho is distracted hurting a woman <laughs> and gets hit by a chair. Oh, you know? It's so unfair. I mean, he wasn't even finished hurting the woman and then he comes in like that. Yeah. The man couldn't even finish what he was doing. It's disgusting. <laughs> Joe, this is a uh, less a match and more of an elaborate farce involving wrestling. <laughs> but what were your thoughts on the Duchess of Queensbury rules? I loved rules? it. It's so silly. It's yeah. so, so fun. And I, yeah, I just love, I love people making fun of the English and our nonsense traditions and our ridiculous monarchy. And this match was so fun and silly and you really get to see Regal pull a lot of very silly faces. And there is some genuinely good wrestling here too. Yes, yeah, yes. Mm. I feel like we've not talked enough about how good the wrestling is, but honestly, I know it's just such an entertaining match. It's it's difficult not to go off on tangents about just how funny it all is. (laughs) But there is genuinely a lot of really great wrestling in this. So I gave it four stars out of five. I really enjoyed it. Someday we'll compile all of your ratings lists and find out who's your most uh, highly rated wrestler. Yeah. But it looks like Willie Regal uh, He's definitely track. up there, yeah. God, that's really, really good. Matt, any other thoughts on this match? Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's, it, it, I think, I think it's what Regal would like about what he does in that it's, it's not technical wrestling for the sake of technical wrestling. It's mm. entertainment, yeah. And it is silly and it's it's funny, but as you say, it, it, the, in it there is also really good wrestling, and mm. it shows that you can you can do 
comedy, silly, broad comedy, and also, oh, they're actually hurting each other. They're having a <laughs> damn fight here. You know, that those things can coexist really well. And that's something that wrestling is one, I think, one of the few art forms that can that can do that. Yes. It's hard to do. Yeah. And I think this would be definitely one of those matches that I would suggest if you have somebody you wanted to show wrestling to and you think that they've got a lot of preconceived notions about what it is oh, and yeah, what it this isn't. Will, yeah, because it's such mind. a yeah, beautiful marrying of, of marrying of the the comedy and the actual wrestling performance. I think this yeah. is like a really, really I didn't think I'd be saying this about this Duchess of Queens match. It's a great match. match. <laughs> and yeah. there was something you said when we were watching it. You said, Joe, that like one of the funniest things is when they put across the stereotype that England is this place that's full of these very silly traditions and very fancy traditions. Yeah. And they're very complex, but everyone in England knows what they are. Oh. Like, we, we, we all, everyone in this country know, would know what the Queensbury yeah. rules are. <laughs> like, England is this weird secret society where everyone is very fancy secretly. Like I said earlier, I believe it's one of the traditional core British values is the idea of having very silly, complex rules that no one else is aware of, but that <laughs> we are aware of. And because they don't know the extent of the rules, we change them because we're nasty. Mm. Yeah. That's a very that's a very English thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So around the time of 2001 or late 2001, William Regal becomes a nasty heel and, you know, more so of a nasty heel than we were maybe were familiar with. This was a period of time where I remember him actually scaring me a bit as a kid. They were like, he turns on Tajiri at one point. Oh, no. Like they did a thing where like he asked to they, basically they have like a, a a bad a baddie team forms in the in this, they have an invasion of this rogue group joint. I'm not even going to attempt to explain the invasion properly for Joe, <laughs> but let's just say an evil group of wrestlers forms to wants to destroy the company and Regal is part of that group and he wants his old friend Tajiri to join and Regal is this really cold nasty sort and he's like come on Tajiri you have to join up with me you know I'm the only reason you have a career here and Tajiri's like he just shakes his head and he says no he's like okay that's fine that's fine and he grabs him by the ear and slams his head no! onto the desk and he just punches him with the left hand over and over again I don't mean scared going oh my god nice Tajiri and Tajiri's girlfriend Tori Wilson's there like going oh my god she's horrified and he as he's beating up Tajiri he just stands up and goes and as for you Miss Wilson the demon headmaster's here and like Tajiri kicks him they run away because he and ugh this is a period of time where every match with Regal, he either got a bloody nose or was doing that evil face. Of, like, he was a genuinely unsettling performer and he would have brass knuckles, which are, I think, it's such a simple gimmick, but it was one which he used super duper effectively to put him over as being like really nasty and horrible, but you would still get the comedy mixed in there along the way. I mean, I don't know, Matt, if you're familiar with all the various places where he would stash and hide his brass knuckles. I mean, the obvious place would be down his tights. Yes. Yeah. Where else? Well, he would have them down his tights, and then it became the time where the, the, the wrestling referees were like, okay, you obviously have them now, so they would check him before the match, and he would take him out of his tights, and then he'd have another one in his boots. There was one time he had three <laughs> pairs of brass wow. knuckles. There was one time where he hid the brass knuckles in Stacey Keebler's shorts. He went outside and went, hello, you're a lovely wench, and just took brass you're knuckles. You're a lovely wench. And she's like, I am a lovely wench, thank you. You just <laughs> put your hand in my trousers and take out a pair of brass knuckles. For God's sake. <laughs> There was a little match I had to show Joe. It was very brief, which was him versus the big show. 
using brass <laughs> knuckles. Uh, Joe, can you explain this fabulous moment in William Regal's career? Yes, great. He he brings out these brass knucks. He hits Big Show. Big Show falls over. Big Show lands on Regal. Big Show gets the pin by mistake. Fantastic. It's great. Because yeah, Big Show's massive. There's no way you're getting out under there if he falls on you. And the whole time Regal's like, Bleh! underneath it. Serves him goes. right. The bitter irony. I love it. <laughs> So there was a period of time here where Regal he disappeared from our screens, and this is like another like a career where you know he had a lot of like random setbacks, and this is one of those really alarming ones. During two thousand and three, they went on a tour of India, I believe it was. They were touring some kind of areas where they hadn't been in a long, long time, and he suddenly gets very, very unwell, and he gets taken to the doctor. And they're like, "I think you've got a heart defect, and there's something wrong with you. We have to keep you in for observations." And he essentially he was out of action for around a year mm. but what he actually had was it was a parasite a parasitic oh worm that actually God. attacked his heart and this was like he was on if not on very close to death's door I'm pretty sure like yeah. I think I think I'm right saying he was basically in bed for a year he, you Jesus know, yeah. and like, he lost like 40 he gained 40 pounds of fat and then lost 40 pounds of muscle it was like in the height of his career and when he was really like you know firing on all cylinders and I'm being really sad about it because it was like 2003 when wrestling was in a bit of a downturn, and like he just he gone from he was gone from the screens and people were like, oh, where is he? I was like, hmm, he's he's sick or something. I don't know. And then you come back and it's like he's just back on TV. And it's like, oh yeah, I've been gone for a year battling a heart parasite. I was like, what? That's so scary. It is. How do you even get heart parasite? I'm I'm gonna have nightmares about getting a heart parasite now. Well, I mean, like we did parasite month when I was doing my invertebrate zoology course, and there are like specifically worms that go for the heart. No. They're called heartworms. Oh god. And yeah, I mean. Worms inside you, that's pretty terrifying. In here, like, yikes, in the heart. So, to think that he actually came back from that and then had, from 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 we've seen him live, he said his favourite part of his career was this kind of run as a tag team he had with, uh, with Dave Taylor, who was a fellow Englishman from that kind of rough and tough world of sport days. And that's when, you know, he was just got to be that character and he was very at ease with it. And because he wasn't a authority figure on screen... He was free just to be this kind of very comedic figure, but still being a nasty guy when he was mm. wrestling. Even though it was less high profile than some of his other stuff, I thought it was probably some of the more rewarding things that he did in his career. Like they did a, a gimmick with them where they were in this like tag team ladder match, all these high flying teams like London and Kendrick and Eminem and Matt Hardy's there, all these guys flying around. And these two old British bruisers, both too afraid to climb the ladder. So they actually have the spot and like they can win the match and they're both like to me, to you, to me, to you and then they won't climb the ladder because like, no, I'm not going up there. That's over five feet high. (laughs) (laughs) All the English are cowards. Not even the tall ladder is the little, little ladder. They're like, their head is like on the top rung like, no man, I'm not going up there. I'm not paying the shed no way. (laughs) Now, there was a little period of time where he had many people think it's like the coolest part of his career. And it's again another one which was tragically cut short. He was the general manager of uh, of Raw. Now I know I told you before in our Sandman episode they did a little thing where it made out that Sandman might become general manager. Yeah, yeah the man who threw him out, who hid under the ring for the whole match, was actually William Regal. So, ah, that makes so like, sense. Okay, William Regal, he's in charge again. Like a you know nice pair of shoes. This will fit on nice. You know he's very good at this role. But they had him win the King of the Ring at the at the same time as well, and. 
you know, William Regal, he's not an egotistical man, but as soon as that happened, Raw opened up with him in a throne. Everything is in darkness, and he goes, I am the single most powerful entity in all of wrestling <laughs> as both the general manager and king of the ring. And everyone's like, boo. It's like, oh, people are booing. Turn off all the microphones and just be silence. Oh, man. And he turn off all the lights in the arena. It's great. They did an angle with him where at the end of a show, it was like Randy Orton and John Cena were wrestling, and he didn't like it. So he went, they had the camera follow him to the production truck. He's like, turn this show off. The show is bloody ending right now. Like, it's the middle of the main event. I'm the general manager. Turn the bloody show off. And the show ended just with Willie Regal going, turn off the show now. And that was how Raw ended. Amazing. I mean, that's, that's the fantasy we all have, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Turning off a Raw main event of Cena and all. <laughs> I would have liked, yeah, if like that's how Crown Jewel ended. Yeah. If there was a liberal consensus and everyone just comes in, turn off this bloody show right now. <laughs> but unfortunately, again... A little bit of a derailment. He was caught up in... There was a big kind of uh, pharmacy, online pharmacy scandal where people were getting supplements and steroids and growth hormones and all this stuff. There was like literally 12 people got caught up in one fell swoop. And this was like the most heartbreaking thing. I remember being just old enough to be like, I want William Regal to be a world champion, I think. And then he gets let go. He gets uh, suspended and all that kind of poofs into nothingness like there was a genuine point in this time we thought he might be this yeah he was very close mm. he was wrestling triple h and stuff like that oh, you wow. think oh maybe and then it just yeah he gets written off which was really really sad that's really sad I, i'm a bit confused as well so you say it was like an online website type thing and lots of wrestlers were buying from there or? yeah it was like an online pharmacy that i think sports Illustri- illustrated did like a um like a big investigative expose piece right and they found out that there was all these WWE wrestlers who were getting prescriptions through this online website which wasn't necessarily the same as going to a doctor and getting them legitimately and there was people were getting stuff on that list that was part of the new wellness policies no-no list and as a result of that loads of people got suspended but because William Regal had obviously had issues before this was his second suspension so he had this like big crazy run, he's super hot, and then 60 days he has to go away. Right. So that's basically long enough in wrestling to destroy any momentum. I don't know, I think there's never been a British world champion. Really? I know. Is that a bit weird for you guys, seeing as we've had a, a pop at the Britons today, but... Because there's been Irish. There has. Grand Seamus and Finn Balor. Grand <laughs> lads. But I don't know, it seems strange to me that... I mean, Regal would have been such a great... Regal would have been great. I can't say that I'm, like, particularly angry that there hasn't been an English person as champion because there's so many other baseline (laughs) aspects of diversity and representation that haven't been met yet that I feel are more important than whether or not the English are represented on the title. I, I would be very happy to see someone in that place, but given how many English wrestlers there are in WWE at the moment working their way up through the ranks we will get one mm. Mm. I mean I, that's for you you're, you'd care less about titles though don't you yeah I don't care at all how about you Matt William Regal never being a world champion as a, as a Regal fan does that like does that get you at all or do you think it's not a big deal no it doesn't affect his body of work doesn't affect why I love him mm. you mm. know and, and and he could have been WCW world champion but he didn't because it was tainted by the NWR oh of course that was, his, that was his choice that was his choice <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, it, well, I mean, obviously we know belts 
are I don't want to call them props because that's seems a little that's too cynical crass, almost, isn't yeah, it? yeah but you know um they are they are symbols of something you know that they I'm just tangling myself in kayfabe. Um, <laughs> because, but, yeah, I mean, people might think, they're going, oh, yeah, it's wrestling, it's not real, so, I mean, what, what, what do the titles mean then? Like, why, why would it mean anything? I think the thing, with, the thing with titles is that sometimes, I think this, this is a huge cliche, sometimes the performer elevates the title, sometimes the title elevates the performer. Right. Sometimes neither of those two things happen. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I don't think William Regal, you know, we are here talking about how great he is. He is kind of universally recognised as fantastic on several different levels. Yeah. He wouldn't be any better if he had been, a, a, you know, a world champion. That yeah, yeah. You know. There's, there's a number of wrestlers great, like that. Because, like, you know. I mean, when we were talking about Ready Ready Piper or Scott Hall, these are also, like, big, big names who... Or even, like, Awesome Kong. Like, But we're, there's, like, obviously a lot of big names who maybe didn't reach that upper, upper echelon. But... I kind of feel, yeah, maybe you reach a point where it's no longer needed. You know, you've gotten enough, you've already got a body of work that's uh, established enough that it would just be a needless string to your bow almost. I'd have liked to have seen it, if only because I'm sure he could make it so despicable, the fact that he mm. was champion. I'm sure there's a lot of really yeah. cool, funny things that he would have done with it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But then that's the same with any other angle that he was put in, like any situation, I'm sure he'd have interesting, funny ideas to do with that particular situation. It's just like, yeah, that one would have been cool to see. I mean, he always found ways to get you so invested in seemingly stuff that wouldn't be that of much interest. I mean, there's a whole angle that they did back in the day with a character called Eugene, okay? Now, Billy has promised, or not say Billy has promised, Billy has made me tell you that if we ever are to talk about Eugene properly for an episode, he has to come on and explain it. Is there going to be a how-to Eugene? I would like to think not. No, there can't be. But broad strokes, Eugene, the character was, he, he was kayfabe, the nephew of Eric Bischoff, who was mentally challenged but was an incredible wrestler. Hang on. Mentally challenged? Yeah. Is this some umbrella term that's deliberately used very vaguely? Yes. Without any yeah. specific yeah. diagnosis? Yeah. Pretty much. Or, okay. But the idea so. was was that he was a total, like, he was a total badass in the ring, but, you know, he wanted to be everyone's friend and he was a big wrestling fan and yeah. he had a big cuddly toy. And he, was like was... A, he was like a child man. Right. Yeah. Kind of like somehow, you know, like Rain Man, if it was you know written by Vince McMahon. Yeah, and, and kind of deliberately sort of adorable and cute. Right. But a beast in the ring. Okay. You know. So it was a weird kind of mix of like infantilization yeah. a little bit, yeah. where Vince can Vince has an issue sometimes about you know with he does it with the little people as well, where it's like oh you're a child then, and he did it a little bit with Eugene, where he made him out that he was like a child essentially. It was a bit strange, but they put him up with William Regal. And like that was like the I think the only reason how that angle had any chance whatsoever. Yeah. Because William Regal, the constant performer, manages to do promos where you get goosebumps caring about this mm. oftentimes very offensive character. Mm. Like they had Triple H was like beating up uh, Eugene and taking advantage of him. And I, sh- I think we've shown you the promo. Yeah. It was me, Sunshine. It was like uh, oh, William Regal so good. just defending you know, and he's like, you know, I would have awarded your cunning for being such a dastardly person, but this boy was like, it's a step too far. And I think like, William Regal, yeah, yeah, William Regal, who's been <laughs> universally booed for like his entire career, and he's out here talking about this really ultimately bad taste angle, and he has people going Regal, Regal going nuts mm-hmm. for this great, now seemingly great angle, even though it's in poor taste. It's 
it, it's this in that promo i love that promo it's because somehow even with all the goofy shit over the years regal's done when he says essentially to triple h that he's going to come down here and kick the shit out of him everyone believes it mm-hmm. and that's triple h triple h beats everyone yeah you know, the fact that <laughs> the whole winner goes oh shit he's fucked you know that's amazing yeah and this is 2004 peak gaston triple h where yeah. he was pretty much untouchable uh, yeah there's a great thing about like when he's so established as a bad guy and like he's so firmly entrenched in there and they do things where they play off of that like where if the bad guy the villain the self-identified wicked villain says that you've crossed the line it's like Darth Vader going mate come on now Emperor Palpatine mm. that's a bit much lightning there would you ease up a bit like, I mean, you know? it's a bit of like a it's a traditional trope I think in some respects that works very very well which is if you are fighting a bad guy sometimes the best person to have on your side is another bad guy yes because they know how bad guys think yeah yeah and so there's something quite heroic then with him standing up for Eugene and being like yeah I'm gonna come and fucking kill you mate mm. <laughs> it's I mean, noble yeah yes yes absolutely and you don't you get precious little of that in wrestling yeah. like someone coming out like I'm gonna do the noble thing is usually met with booze you know cause yeah. it's, it's corny it's tacky but and it's, it's especially cool. impressive that he's English and pulling off the noble thing <laughs> and not making it like it's a heel manoeuvre. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, while we've all got goosebumps, mm. uh, we might as well move into our next phase of Regal's career, which is, uh, as he said, the late autumn of his oh. career. Oh. There we go. Got you right in the Romantic. heart already. Really? Romantic. Yeah. Now, Regal was involved very heavily and still is to this day with NXT, the developmental brand. And that is the, the style of wrestling that me and Joe are particularly fond of. And Regal was initially brought on as a commentator. And if you've never heard William Regal commentate, folks, you got to go check it out. I want to hear this. Oh, he, great. He hates doing it, apparently. Aww. But he, he will always, if anyone's doing any sort of a move... Where it's like someone's in an arm bar and you'd be like, if you're at home right now, get your arm right, yeah. Get your friend to pull out. It's it's blooming sore. It's <laughs> My favourite thing about Regal on commentary in NXT, do you remember what he used to call Enzo Amore? No. He's a caffeinated ferret. <laughs> <laughs> very accurate. Apt, very apt. So Regal was then used in NXT and he had been used in developmental as well as this kind of, he's the old veteran, this... This, as he referred to himself, a beaten down old man with the body of a badly made bed, which Even is... Even though, can I just say, William Regal looks better now than he has ever yeah. done. He is just getting more and more handsy over the years. Mm. Well, that, 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 we might as well get into this now before yeah, we get to very serious stuff. Yeah, perfect time. Hansy, hunk, where does Regal fit He's into this? But definitely handsy. And I'm okay with the fact that he might hear this and hear me call him Hansy. Call me, Regal, okay? Whoa, do not. Wait a second. <laughs> the British have taken enough from the Irish. We don't need to add my partner as well on top of that. I'm not here to facilitate a dating service. No, you're not. No, I'm you not. Nip this in the bud. I can't. Look, you're on you. You'll never work this town again, otherwise, <laughs> Ricardo. <laughs> I, won't, I won't say the next thing I was going to say. No, I want to hear it now. Oh, no, go on. Go on. No, no, no. Go no, no, it's fine. I'll say never... it. Say it. I was just saying, I'd call him daddy. For fuck's sake! Jesus! Boy, oh boy. Wow. Cue the fucking music, like, the bit at the end. You say see ya, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a handsome man, and he's gotten even more handsome, I think, over the years. His new hair, well, I say new, he's had it for like yeah, 10 years now. It's very cool. So he was used several times to be like the old veteran to get someone new over. Like, actually, before NXT debuted, 
Um, they used him in Florida Championship Wrestling to get a young Dean Ambrose over wow. as like a real like kind of nasty this guy he doesn't play by anyone's you know preconceived notions of civility they used Dean Ambrose as this wild man heel to beat up William Regal and that's a real like hard match to watch because they beat the shit out of each other it is on YouTube as well you can find it it's just a bit low quality because it's you know pre-NXT days but they kind of went through a similar route using Regal to get over Cesaro as this real violent competitor who in NXT was almost like the final boss when we did our episode on Sami Zayn we talked about him and Cesaro and that was like you know him beating Cesaro was a super huge deal and the reason it was was because of matches like this where William Regal is standing up for everyone's favourite young boy Byron Saxton who's Aww. been bullied on commentary by that nasty rotter Cesaro and he can't talk about this match, which is William Regal versus Cesaro from Christmas Day NXT in 2013. And that's not the name of the show. That is, it was it's filmed literally broadcast. On, on Christmas Day. I'm just saying, I'm really glad I watched Big Fat Quiz of the Year that year instead. It was far fewer goosebumps. This is a very emotionally taxing, in a positive way, piece of work. And yeah. you can't talk about this match without talking about the promo at the start which is probably one of my favourite promos of all time, mm -hmm. which is essentially a callback to his entire mm -hmm. career. What did you guys both think of this? Start with you, Mash, Joe, who wants to go first? I Yeah, I loved his promo here. It's incredible. He just basically talks about how Cesaro is one of the best wrestlers in the world and that... I mean, he basically lays out, like, I probably won't beat him because Cesaro is the best there is. You're and... meant to put over your opponent yeah. and he's like, he's ten times the man I am. Like, Jesus, all right. like yeah. yeah, but then he says it in a way that's like, you know, yeah, he's ten times the man I am, but I'm going to put everything I have into it. And I've been wrestling for, you know, 20, 30 years and I'm, I've played every trick in the book. I know it all. I know every nasty move there is. And God knows I'm going to bring it all out. And I'm Every gonna... drop of vile and venom left in my veins. That's so oh poetic. Oh my God. I want a book of poetry, but just William Regal <laughs> just quotes. It's like, when, when you see that, it's like, it's this motherfucking last match. And this is like the one time he's had to cut a promo where it's really like... He, you know, because it's, mm. it's his promise to make you boo or to make you laugh. It's it was rarely his job to do that. Mm. Matt, what were your thoughts on this one? It is it is absolutely one of my favorite promos of all time. Possibly my favorite. It's it it's as you say. It 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 shouldn't work. The job of a promo is to say I'm going to beat you, and he says you're going to beat me, but he kind of says I'm I'm going to do damage on the way down. You know, I'm not I'm going to take chunks out of you as I go down. And his use of words, I mean, um, calls him, refers to himself as a spiteful fighter. Spiteful. Yeah, that's so apt. That's, oh, that's good. And oh, then the yeah. moment after that, when he, he breaks into a smile and says, I've been a unique entertainer, and gives it a beat, and then the smile vanishes. And he's back to saying how you know vicious he is. And they, he refers to himself... As a faithless old villain. And that's, oh, that's oh, so good. Because he's like, I, I mean, need a miracle, and miracles don't come <laughs> yeah. for, for people like me. It's I like, mean, oh. I, I, you know, and I say this as, as, as his mate, I hope he knows what a fantastic piece of work this is. Yeah. Because this is up there with, with any soliloquy, you mm. know, as a just, you know, and he says it calmly, quietly, two cameras staring down the lens and it's it, as you say it's poetry it's a beautiful promo and and it, it is like, like as you say Kevin it's 
It's a promo about his whole career. Yeah. Saying, this is the last one. I wish more wrestlers had a chance to do a promo like yeah. that, where it's like, here's it all in a nutshell, you know? Yeah. But it's, it's you know, usually, if you're coming to the end of your career, it's going to be a big hyped up thing with video packages and on a big stage. Yeah. Regal in... The very embryotic days of NXT. It's it's a small it's a small yeah. full sale crowd. You don't really know what this show is yet. There's no big recap packages. It's just him and a camera yeah. in a little backstage area. But that that's all you ever need is to is to look down the lens and and tell them the truth of how you're feeling. Mm. And that's what he does. It's incredible as well that he's able to do this as a face at this point in his career. He's he's a nice general manager. Yeah, and. He's able to keep the kayfabe of his original character of being a real nasty, dirty, despicable piece of work, mm. but without it being, without it making him come across more heelish. Like he manages to, mm. in this promo, come across as really scary, mm-hmm. but also heroic. It's almost impossible. I'm trying to think of any wrestler who I could think could do that at the same time, and it's really like difficult to think. Yeah, yeah. because there's no, there's no bragging. There's no, yeah. you know, if you've got someone who is, I guess, traditionally thought of as being a good promo, like a Stone Cold or a Rock, there would be too much, I'm going to do this because I'm the Rock, because I'm great, because, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. he doesn't do any of that. He just says, in, you know, he kind of paraphrases, but he says, in me there is this vicious motherfucker, and if I need to call on him, I can. Oh, and man. He's, he's, he's coming out. And you well, know it's time. true you know, as well. Yeah. You've seen it's, it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's that grizzled old gunfighter. Yes. Who says, you know, it, okay, okay, I'm going to do an awful reference here. Um, there is a film that I'm partial to uh, called The Quick and the Dead, a cowboy film with Sharon Stone directed by Sam Raimi. And there's a bit towards the end with the big sort of final uh, quick draw showdown. And the baddie says to, the, to Sharon Stone, you're not fast enough. And she says, "Today I am," and it's and I love that line. It's that thing that if the situation's right, he he might win. Yeah, he might be able to call in it enough. You know. Oh my goodness! I think my absolute favorite thing about this promo and this match is how emblematic it is of William Regal's entire career. Not just in the way that he summarizes it in his promo, but the fact that he's totally enthusiastic, excited even to put over Cesaro, Mm. this new up and coming wrestler who. Cut forward, how many years now? Five. As of 2018, yeah, five years. Cesaro is eh, mid-card. He's, he's doing well, but not as well as maybe we'd all like. Yeah. And Regal's just absolutely over the moon at putting him up, like, yeah. at putting him mm. over. He's okay with the fact that he's basically saying, yeah, he is the best wrestler possibly in the world. But mm. yeah, when you use the words carefully like that, I mean, because you come into this match, it's like Cesaro, I don't think, oh, oh Cesaro mid-card, I wish his career was better. The way he's spoken about him and then the way that they act in the match, it's like, that's like a, you know, like a Brock Lesnar level of yeah. scary competitor. Suddenly, he's like almost, he's changed your perception of him with some very carefully chosen words. But Cesaro mm. is that good. Yes. Cesaro mm. is one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, it's so rare to get a veteran like that, I think, who is not only happy to put over a, a younger talent, but also is, is is right about that yeah. like he yeah. he's being very honest about the fact that Cesaro is fantastic and he's using his own credibility as one of the best wrestlers in the world to put over another one of the best wrestlers in the world and I really love that well, yeah. If, yeah if you think of the the legends who people look back on fondly you know uh, those are the legends who want to often give back and help out and then there's legends who tweet about how they need to stop working out so much because they look bigger than the whole roster mm. so you know there's there's ways to do things isn't there and I think 
I think it's it's stuff like this why Regal is he's he's viewed as being a very selfless performer yeah. and somebody who wants to pass on and it's great to see that it's been so effective because his his legacy lives on through the people he's inspired because of this very forthright nature of wanting to make everyone around him to raise them up and mm-hmm. that's really really great. I love how they start like the first five ten minutes of this match. I've called it conjoined wrestling. Mm-hmm. I don't think they let go of each yeah. other's hands. The whole time. Mm. It's very amazing how they managed to do that. That's another British style of wrestling thing though, isn't it? Yeah, that's very much that world of sports style we were talking about earlier. And I have to mention, because this is so impressive to me, this is the coolest thing ever. He starts this match by Regal doing a kip-up. Yeah. And he can do like the arched back. Like he's doing levels of flexibility and... You know, he's doing like uh, things that you didn't you think oh he's the late autumn of his career I assume that means there's no more flips you know <laughs> all of those flips <laughs> yeah there is god almighty if this is the late autumn spring and summer is going to be pretty fucking awesome <laughs> like he does moves in this it's funny there's a move he does in this match where it's like a weird he puts his arms behind their back and he leans back into kind of a surfboard mm. stretch type thing mm. he did it in the match with Ultimo Dragon and he does it better here yeah, yeah nearly 20 years later yeah mm-hmm. I spotted that too and yeah. I couldn't believe it it's like he is he's gotten better with age yeah yeah it, it, again, against all like logical like he's been through you know he's been on a deathbed he's he's had a several yeah he's had several massive step backs in his career mm-hmm. you think oh that's it and he got better still that's yeah. really mm-hmm. amazing I like that they play up the little naughty side of his character. Where oh, he yeah. He had to... Oh, <laughs> Cesaro in the corner and he's distracting... He's kind of distracting the ref at the same time by talking to him and then he, like, kicks Cesaro behind his back and then he does this kind of, like, shrug to the audience, like, yeah. oopsie. The little Pete Dunne shrug, I Very see Very Pete Dunne, yeah. yeah. I like that. And it's that... <laughs> that as, as he walks away having done that, the glint in his eyes and the expression on his face is kind of, what did you expect? <laughs> Obviously, you know, I'm going to really regal. <laughs> Something we didn't get to see a lot of Regal do because he's often the villain is being in a position of sympathy in a match mm. and doing a lot of selling. And oh my God. His selling is so good. Cesaro does a chop block and I'm pretty sure I was looking for a shooter in the arena. Someone had like shot him in the leg because he's like, Bleh! and he is blood curdling scream. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's very unsettling. Writhing around mm-hmm. in agony. It's great. And like every little bit of spot of hope that he has is met with this like, sad desperation like one of Regal's moves he would do in his later career was a, in his later career was a knee tremble he'd do his running knee to the side of the head and he has Cesaro exactly where he is and he, you see him he's like getting ready and then he just like realises I can't do it my leg is too fucked and he just looks ah. like like he's lost like what am I going to do now like, I don't know what I'm going to do and the worry creeps in and oh god it's so <laughs> fucking good they make the giant swing be terrifying because oh his so leg scary. is sore. So scary. And then he's been swung around. He's like, his leg, William Regal's going to die. His leg is going to come off. It's yeah. really distressing to us. A little thing I love when the rare occasion I see it done in wrestling with selling is when they rub their legs or their arms to kind of like bring the feeling yes. back. Mm. And Regal, just, I love every element of his selling in this. It's like, just it covers all corners. And yeah, that poor leg of his, you really empathise you were saying something that you were very fond of before in previous episodes. Was that uh, you, you said that we saw Regal live. He mentioned that no one really cares if you're doing like if you're doing a suplex or if it's a dragon suplex or a tiger suplex or you know 
a suplex is kind of difficult for you to imagine. But mm. if you are doing moves where you can actually think, oh, that would be kind of nasty. Mm. And he does a lot of that in this match where he attacks the biceps the yeah. of Cesaro. And he just stomps on it and it's like, oh, yeah. that would be fucking horrible. I feel like I've talked about this a lot on How To Wrestling, but it may just be that I enthuse about it a lot in my daily life. So I will say it again, just in case I haven't said it before. But yeah, we went to see William Regal do a Q&A, thanks to Matt, who thanks, was opening Matt. the show. Hooray for me. <laughs> <laughs> and in it, he talks about the empathy of pain and how you will empathise a lot more with moves if you've experienced them yourself. Things like ear tugs, nose tugs, pulling on hair, scratches, anything that you kind of, you might have experienced yourself. The one where he rubs a, his forearm in your face and it's like, <gasps> yeah, nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. He does a lot of that and I think one of the best influences he's had on wrestling is the number of wrestlers who are coming up now through NXT who do that kind of nasty Oh, that wrestling style where you really do feel like you could really understand what it's like to have your fingers bent back in that awkward angle. Well, we're definitely living in a time where, because of Brock Lesnar, seeing a suplex doesn't make me go, hey, like it used to. It's not just suplexes, though. I feel there's a lot of moves in wrestling where I'm unable to empathise with how they would feel. Mm. Mm. What, I, wonder, I mean, we could try some top rope hurricanes now. Yeah, if Matt, you want to get on top there. Happy to, happy yeah. to. Yeah, yeah I'll, it. I'll springboard it. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll edit in the whooshing sound effects so people yeah. who've done it for real. Oh, God, yeah. So Regal gets this, like, his last few little flurries. He, he tries to get in the Regal stretch. No effect. And then Cesaro does this double stomp onto his head. <laughs> and then... It's like even Cesaro feels sorry for him. Like he tries to pick up Regal and he's like, oh God, I don't I don't even want to do this yeah. now. I feel fucking dirty, man. And <laughs> Regal just won't. Like, there's no like big slap. Come on, baby. He doesn't even get to look, catch his eye. He's just trying to stand up and claw his way up. He won't stay down. Oh, man. Cesaro finally ends it with the neutralizer and they have a very, very emotional handshake at the end after Regal mm. finally makes it to his feet. And it's not like there's no big fireworks and flowers and send-off for William Regal. It's like, that's kind of how a villain mm. should go out. Yeah. Trying to do the noble thing, and he falls yeah. short. And and for every other wrestler that's ever done it, that is how you pass a fucking torch. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> Seriously. Firmly in the hands of Cesaro there. There's only one little thing that we missed about this match, which I do want to mention, because it's one of my favourite moments. We have William Regal with both of his legs being completely dead, no feeling them. He's just like hitting them, rubbing them, trying to bring back feeling. And Cesaro has completely dead arms and has to resort to using his head as a weapon. So a legless man versus an armless man. I love man. it. It's I love brilliant. that. <laughs> I've never yeah. seen that before. <laughs> that's that's the thing. If you've got a guy, he's a, they say a thirty-year career, and he's doing stuff in his last match where it's like, oh, I ain't seen that before. Yeah. You know, it's yep. like man, there's just. You, you you are very, very fortunate, WWE, and I hope they realise how much that he is there. Because like, his job, his official title now is like a talent a talent scout, essentially. Yeah, yeah. As, as I understand it, he bounces around the world developing new talent and picking people to bring in and then helping them once they get there. Yeah. I mean, it fucking works. I mean, like, yep. <laughs> cause since he's been doing that, yeah. WWE's talent acquisition has just like went from being like shady and like mostly guys and girls who don't seem to want to do much to do with wrestling to getting a mixture of athlete, athletes who will kick ass in wrestling the likes of you know Bianca Belair and whatnot she mm-hmm. wasn't a wrestler beforehand 
but they've got a great eye there now with with William Regan. He's bringing in the likes of you know Samoa Joe and Kevin Owens. These names yeah. who before wouldn't have gotten a look in Edgeways because he know he's looking for talent, not looking for a stereotypes look. or a yeah. look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And as I will say to anyone who doesn't watch wrestling and is at all curious, wrestling is the best now that it's ever been. I truly believe that. And NXT is the best show that you could possibly watch within wrestling. And like, honestly, that is down to Regal. Yeah, I mean, he's a huge role in all of that. That's definitely mm-hmm. true. Your star rating for this match then. I mean, I know I got at least five goosebumps, but how many stars <laughs> did it get? Right, I, I I don't even have much to say about this match, okay? Because words can't do it justice. I gave it five stars out of five stars, and honestly, it might be one of the fav- my favourite matches I've ever seen. Wow! I absolutely loved it. William Regal is such a good wrestler. <laughs> He's so good. And Cesaro is so good. I love Cesaro anyway. Mm. But this match had everything. The pacing was perfect. The, the character work on both sides was amazing. You've got the brilliant promo at the beginning that gives you goosebumps and like i think i give this match five stars even if it weren't for the fact that william regal here has no goddamn right being this good (laughs) no goddamn right he's far too good i was just i i haven't even written anything down really for my notes because i was just spent the entire match just gawping you're saying it's your favorite match so that's one of your favorite matches i should say i wonder if that's almost though because he's one of the characters who you've slowly been learning a little bit mm-hmm. more about like your journey with William Regal didn't just start when this episode's research started you've been learning no. it but I mean he's one of the first characters you saw on TV yeah he really is yeah. and I remember you being kind of like oh I quite like this guy I'm like oh you've no fucking idea <laughs> you've no idea <laughs> just wait so like, I, I wonder if this is like it's because it's such a fitting end yeah, yeah. I mean partly absolutely yeah there's definitely some special feelings in mm-hmm. this match for me but it is that good anyway. Like, I would suggest anyone watching this match, wrestling fan or otherwise, it's a, just a great match. You could show it out of context and anyone would understand the dynamics. Mm. And it's just really entertaining. It's just a great, great match. And just look at Regal. He's so cool. Well, it's been an absolute blast talking about the career of this wretched old villain. But I just want to ask uh, Joe and Matt both, Closing thoughts on the man and any recommendations for fans on a journey trying to find out more about William Regal. Yeah, I mean William Regal. It's weird because because I do I do know him socially, <laughs> but I think you know he, he's my favourite wrestler, and he was before I knew him. Uh, I, I first saw him on WCW. They used to put it on Channel Five, WCW God, Worldwide, yeah. and I kind of half watched it. And he would catch my eye because I would see that he was doing something funny. And mm. the way, you know, his sour look at the <laughs> at the audience. And I'd go, this guy's doing something the other guys aren't doing, you know. Mm. And, I mean, you know, I, I am incredibly lucky to have been in the position where I have, you know, someone who was one of my heroes is now my friend. And that, that's an incredibly nice position to be in. Um, I would say if, if you ever see him on tour doing his spoken word stuff go and see it yes. yeah absolutely essential God, if yes. only for the Tajiri stories <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, apparently their their off screen relationship did not mirror oh, their on screen one <laughs> um, and also he tells a fantastic story involving Big Daddy and uh, uh, an Apple turnover oh yes that's my favourite oh, thing in the whole world one. that's my favourite 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, and, and, and I say don't, don't, you know, go and check out that show because I might be in it as well. Um, but yeah, he, he's fantastic. He, he's so good at every part of what being a wrestler is when so many wrestlers are good at one thing. You know, he, he's, he's good at all the things. Yeah. Um, in terms of stuff that we haven't talked about that you should go and see, um, the only thing that we didn't touch on, which I, I don't know if you did see, is the the promo he cuts on Hulk Hogan. Ah, oh, yes! Surrounded oh, by Hogan merchandise. Yes. Don't you worry, man. <gasps> when he just puts he puts the Hogan hat on and goes, look at me, I'm a Hulkamaniac. <laughs> oh. I um, immediately will love anyone who hates Hulk Hogan as much as me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone does. <laughs> oh, pretty close, though. Um, but yeah, and, and thank you for having me, guys. It was an absolute delight. An oh, it's lovely delight. to have you. Joe, final thoughts on the man himself? I mean, it's just, there's too much to say, really. He's just such a great wrestler, such a great entertainer. But I think the main thing that I want to really sort of thank him for is the stuff he's done backstage. Like, Something we talk about a lot on this show, which is how wrestling has, invo- has evolved as an industry over the years in terms of its treatment of women and minorities and different weight groups. And I love NXT. NXT was the first show I ever saw in wrestling. It's what got me into wrestling. And it's the fact that NXT is able to be so wonderfully diverse and tell these incredible stories about the characters themselves without reverting to boring tropes Mm. and stereotypes which I feel a lot of wrestling these days does rely on like at the moment in NXT we have Nikki Cross interfering with a whole storyline involving Alistair Black and Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano and it just seems so organic it doesn't feel out of place it feels incredibly human and like a very natural story and just it's such a great show it's such a great show Mm. and I feel like William it's thanks to people like William Regal who behind the scenes are going out and scouting this incredible talent and really realising what makes wrestling so great is the diversity of of the show itself like you've got these comedy matches and you've got the scary heels and you've got the true baby faces and just the mix of all that together and all these different wonderful types of people is what makes wrestling so wonderful I think Mm, as a medium and his fingerprints are definitely all over that show absolutely yeah and like it's it's obvious to see what a benefit it is when you have NXT people who are young and learning and stuff like that everything from promos to how they carry themselves in the ring and their stances and everything i mean there's no better person to learn from is there you know they've got they've got one hell of a teacher there and as well it's just so nice as well having matt here because william regal sounds like such a horrible despicable man when you just see his character (laughs) and you kind of i think part of us as wrestling fans it's easy to project and go oh well it must be an exaggeration of his true self which to some extent sure probably but from what I've heard from you, Matt, he sounds like genuinely a lovely guy who I would, you know, absolutely love to to grab a beer with sometime. And I feel like I wouldn't be like horribly terrified of, you know, saying the wrong thing and putting my foot in and then just being blacklisted from the wrestling industry forever. <laughs> I just, he seems like a really nice person and wrestling needs way more of them. Well, he's got lots of pets. I hear he's got like eight lizards and several cats and dogs. And I found a quote from the reason he has so many animals is because he finds human beings repulsive. <laughs> <laughs> 
we want to say a very, very big thank you to the lovely Matt Ricardo for appearing on our show. Matt, thank you so much for your insight and your expertise and for your candor in talking about William Regal's career. If the folks want to find out more about you and your fantastic happenings, where can they find out about Matt Ricardo? Uh, I I infect the internet like an STD. Uh, I am Matt Ricardo. That's one T in Matt. So I'm Matt Ricardo on uh, Twitter. I am the Matt Ricardo on Instagram. I am Matt Ricardo. Com. Come and say hi. <laughs> and he's selling himself short. If you see on Matt's website, he is playing anywhere near you. For the love of God, go and see him. Seriously. I, I, I need to be your Leo Rush. You gotta, go, you gotta go see him. Look, give, give it to him, Matt. Give him the match. I am the man of the hour. Um. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Now it's time to get into your tweets and your Facebook messages. I'm in the late autumn of my 30-year career, and recently I've been pondering over the legacy of William Regal. What's it all been about? I'm a vicious and sadistic and spiteful fighter. I've been a unique entertainer. I never achieved the one thing that I coveted the most, and that was to become the world heavyweight champion. But that's my fault, because I have a wonderful knack of getting myself into a lot of trouble. But to the people who really know I've always been a second-to-none, world-class technical wrestler. That was until Antonio Cesaro came along. Because I know, even on my best day, he's ten times the man and the wrestler that I've ever been. And he knows that. And that's what this is really all about. He has an intense desire to prove it. And I truly commend him for it. I'm going into this match knowing that the only chance I've got of surviving, let alone winning, is a miracle. And that's not coming to a faithless old villain like myself. I'm not worried or scared of my plight. In fact, I'm relishing the thought. I am going to compete with every drop of violent venom that I've got left. And if this is the end, well, I honestly can't think of a more noble way to go than being beaten by the ultimate competitor. Well, welcome back and a big, huge thank you and a massive shout out and a well done. And again, thank you so, so much for our buddy, Matt Ricardo. Thanks for coming along and protecting William Regal's bloody reputation. <laughs> so, Joe, have you uh, had a fun time talking about Chili Willie Regal? I've had a great time. It's been a right bloody laugh, it has. I know. You know a lot of, uh, lot of tweets have come in about William Regal. A lot of people have got from... I don't know, from my little dip in the water of looking at it, it seems to be an overwhelming amount of positivity once again. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know, three in a row now of like episodes of people who are just seemingly universally beloved, but for very, very different reasons. So uh, let's see what some of the how-to universe have got to say about William Regal. 
This one's from Jam Master Dolly. Is it just me or does everyone think that Regal got his facial expressions from Rick Mail circa bottom era? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh my good God. I can't believe I've never realised this before, but yes. Yeah, that's really, really true. And I like to think maybe the different eras of Rick Mail could correspond to the different eras of uh, William Regal. Yeah. You know, young Stephen Regal maybe working down in uh, Blackpool. That could very much be uh, Rick Mail on uh, on the comic strip presents type yeah. of thing. Then, of course, you got mainline William Regal as the commissioner in WWE. That's that's obviously bottom. Yeah. And then, obviously, uh, Rick Mail in uh, l- later years when he had some older roles. So, Rick Mail as Greg Davies' dad. Yeah. That is NXT general manager so, William Regal. So, what era of Rick Mail is... A man's man, Stephen Regal. I don't know, did Rick Mail have like a show that he really, really didn't want to do and some guy from New York was like, yo, Rick Mail, when I look at you, I think of fucking, I don't know, hand soap. <laughs> <laughs> no idea, maybe. Chris Brain 86 says, for me, it's the little things he does, such as punch opponent, punch opponent, punch opponent, royal wave to the crowd. The heat these things generate is unreal. The little wave. I mean, I'm a big fan of the wave. Mm. Uh, whereabouts do you stand on the wave? I, I love mean, the wave. Is, is it like an inherently evil English thing to do, to do a little wave like that? Mm, I mean, I don't think inherently so. I think it depends on who you are. Because like Tyler Bate, he's English and he does a wave. That's a little flutter wave though, isn't it? It's more, no, it's like, not more a like the queen wave. That's it's the queen a, wave. It's not a flutter wave. It's a, it's a rotating it's a rotating wrist wave. That's usually the type of wave that is reserved for like queens or pageant winners and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Is that is that a specific English wave? Is there a name for that? A half cup or I something? I bet there is a name for it. I oh, don't know man. what it would be. So you're telling me you're not an etiquette wave expert. No. If you are, tweet in, let us know what type of wave <laughs> William Regal was doing. Because William Regal, the big wave he did... Proper wax on, wax off, uh, karate kid. Like, That's kind you know. of like waving goodbye to your children as you put them on the train to go to the country during the war. <laughs> goodbye, children. Good night, Mr. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm just saying, if someone doesn't book a good night, Mr. Tom scenario where a real rambunctious inner city wrestler comes out to the countryside to live with William Regal and his lizards, and at the start he's like, let's watch some, let's watch some Marty Jones and let's watch some Rollerball Rocco, and then. They get sick because they're used to obviously the fast food and convenience of the inner city mm. food and they have to learn the slow way of doing things i'm really nervous about where this comparison is heading considering good night mr tom <laughs> all i'm just saying is i'm very proud i managed to make a good night mr tom reference and still get a sick joke in there as yeah, well so well i'm done. happy about that heel chi says a master of technical mat wrestling and pantomime heel shenanigans as he's walking to the ring for a match some pyro goes off behind him he turns gives a withering look and shakes his head in disgust massive heat in the first 10 seconds of screen time genius uh, they bring up the pantomime there now obviously mm. panto is something that you uh, you have some knowledge of uh... i would i would go so far as say i'm a pantomime expert oh really because i've been doing pantomimes since i was about five years old yeah so you reckon that you've got some expertise in that uh, area. honestly yeah i am i've been spanked on the bottom by a <laughs> pantomime dame dressed as a duck whoa sorry in... a pantomime dame dressed as a duck so yeah. that's a guy dressed as an old lady dressed as a duck dressed as a duck while singing what song was it now was it a was it a drake or a mallard was it a... <laughs> it was it was actually not a duck it was a goose it was oh, okay mother goose i see and what was the song? It was one of those awful, flirty, terrible disco songs. There's nothing wrong with it. Of how's your father? A you can leave bit. your hat on. Oh, That's for what it was. Sake. That's what it was. How old were you? 
14? Jesus! 13. 13. Arrest that goose! That's what happens in Pantos, They may be masquerading as a dame or a mallard. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody needs to find... Okay, can you do this for me then? Can you give me your uh, dream fantasy booking? you got to book William Regal in a panto. Feel free to put any other wrestlers in the panto as well. Um, You know, damify anyone you feel appropriate. Well, given that William Regal's favourite ever match was when he dressed up as Goldust and Goldust dressed up as William Regal. Oh, yes. Uh, I would cast William Regal as a panto dame. I think he'd be perfectly qualified. Did you see him when he did the show? We did the showgirl match as yeah. well. We also dressed up as a Las Vegas showgirl. He really so. likes dressing up. So I think, yeah, I think he'd definitely enjoy that role. Not to say he couldn't be a great villain. Yeah. But I just think a panto dame role for William Regal would be fantastic. So now, now we're really getting into the layers of it yeah. now. Okay, but are you telling me that a panto dame, te- technically, usually speaking, can't also be the villain? Is that is they mutually exclusive? Yeah, they're mutually exclusive. That really? Yeah, you don't really get a crossover there. Interesting. So if you wanted to do a really shocking heel turn in a panto and like really leave the people... You'll like, make everyone very uncomfortable. You know? I think you can just be in the middle of the panto. You'll be and traumatised. Then, then the dame comes out and is like, but whose side is she on? Or the villain... <laughs> people won't know what's going on and then Bobby he was standing up I told you all these years that dame was no good I told you I have yeah Regal is the panto dame I yep. do young Triple H as the heel the yep. villain okay He's got to have a like a little sidekick guy. I don't know who that would be. X Pac. Yeah, okay, X Pac is like a little goblin like <laughs> Definitely X Pac. Jerry Lawler would be an evil king. They don't really happen a lot in pantomime. It's not really a much of a stretch there. You're calling no, him an evil just king. I wanted to work him in there because he's a horrible little king man. I think that's what it says on his business card. He ends out Jerry Lawler, evil king, or <laughs> formerly wicked king, <laughs> or wretched king. Um, God, I don't know. I mean, I would say Tyler Bate and Trent Seven could be good kind of like comic relief. Yeah, they'd be kind of, yeah, the Sage and Onion of the... Sorry, Deep Panto Cuff there. Deep Panto Cuff there, sorry. Uh, Yeah, yeah. what was Sage and Onion? Sage and Onion... (laughs) were characters that were in a pantomime I was in once. All right. I played Onion. Oh, I see. I thought you'd appreciate that. Oh, wow, that is amazing. Uh, wow, Joe. A uh, comic relief. A little bit of comic relief oh, there. Yeah. Onion themed, like. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah, I think they'd make the good sort of comedy relief part. But yeah. you need you need the, the prince and the princess as well. Mm. I don't know. You just know, there's no, I and mean, we did how two couples, you know, for a live show, and a lot of romance in there. I mean, you could write some wrongs and book Otis and Mandy in there and force them to be in a, in a no, fake relationship. No, because the laws of Panto dictate that the prince has to be played by a woman. Oh, I see. Mm. That's fair. So why don't we because go. Because of the legs. Because of the legs. You have to have very, very nice legs if you're going to play the prince in a pantomime I see it's this weird rule like you have to wear short shorts and show off your legs maybe this is only the pantos I've been in I was going to say like there's probably like some Northumberland kind of panto people who are like what's this Cambridge bollocks a lot like? of young women have been taken seriously advantage of like. see what you don't realise is that there actually is all these different panto territories spread across <laughs> and uh, each one has their own unique style and the booker in Cambridge was a, was a known pervert <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, you've got to pick a, a lady to be uh, to be your prince. Then who's it going to be? Um, I'm going to pick Alicia Fox because oh, she's got great legs. She does. She has legs for days. Yeah, she's Alicia and I think Fox. I think she'd suit wearing the kind of the prince hat. The That's prince true. Often yeah, to yeah. wear a hat with a feather in it. With a as feather well. in it. Yeah, she's I, got her own feather. She's good mm, to go. Like. Yeah, she'd be a really good prince. And then princess. 
Now, does the princess then have to be a man if the prince is a woman, or is it does a princess? No, the princess has to be a, a woman. Okay, I'm um, saying uh, I'm getting the feeling that your panto had some difficulty in recruiting young guessing, men. Yeah, yes, yes, an definitely. issue there. So, and, and it's obviously an issue as well. But one of the men has to become the dame, like so. You're <laughs> rather Shyla. Inexplicably, I'm going to cast Mickey James as the princess. Okay. I just, I just think she'd be really good in Sounds that role. Good. Yeah. I'd go see that panto. Sorry, Americans. This was a segment entirely for us. Featuring Vince McMahon as the voice of the CGI genie as well. He can be the fairy godmother. There's always (laughs) one of those. (laughs) Deep cuts. I think one more reference to pantos and we'll officially have become a spin-off podcast. So we best move on now. (laughs) How to panto. No one wants that. This one's from DHSG58. Hated him as a child. Genuinely thought he was undoing all of the British Bulldogs' good work as the British wrestling ambassador. Couldn't have been more wrong. He represents the absolute best of British wrestling in many ways. I have, you know, as someone who's been watching since I was a wee boy, I think that always my most favourite types of heels are the ones that I hated as a kid. Absolutely hated. Even though I knew it was a work and all that as a kid, but even in spite of that, I hated them as a kid. Like who? You know, uh, X-Buck was one of them. Uh, Jeff Jarrett was another one. Like, uh, you know, there's a lot of wrestlers Anyone like that. I know. Triple H. Uh, oh, right. Stephanie. You know, there's uh, loads and loads yeah. and loads of people like that who, when you're a kid, it's like, oh man, they re- and Regal as well would have fallen to that category. You didn't like Regal. Well, he really, you know, he really grinds the gears like when you're a kid. And when you had these characters who really irritate you as a kid, but then as an adult, you're like, oh, wow, like they're actually really just very good at their job. You know? <laughs> you see, now, obviously, I can't know this for sure, but I really think if I'd watched wrestling as a kid, William Regal would have still been like my absolute favourite. I think so, yeah, because you, you worked heel as a kid, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. You? <laughs> I was a weird heel kid anyway. So, yeah, probably. <laughs> Yeah, so if anyone ever says that you were a dickhead when you were younger, just say, no, I was just booked heel in that day. It's the sort of, uh, worst dickish thing you yeah. can say. And just Ugh. use a sunglasses emoji. It's okay, you'll be fine. <laughs> From Cheese Tom, he was a formative part of my understanding of class. His heelish above-it-all antics made me realise that as a working-class kid from the UK, I had more in common with his opponents than with him. Despite his actual working-class background, he hammed it up. Yeah, and I don't know, it's one of those things that because he came from a legit working-class background, that he knew very much what it was about those upper classes, or even the middle classes and whatnot, Mm. that rubs people the wrong way. And, you know, you can imagine the... The, the fancy people who went to go see wrestling back in the the world of sport days. Because you, know, you, you look and you see old world of sport, there's very fancy you know ladies and gentlemen in the front rows. You know, mm-hmm. It was like a thing to, to be seen to go to. And I imagine he saw and heard some shit and that's all kind of funneled down to this great character. You see, the clever thing about it, I think, is that it works both ways. So mm-hmm. for people who are kind of like, maybe, maybe from a working class background, they're going to see this character and go, ah, that upper class, snobby disgusting awful example of what the united kingdom represents but similarly like upper class people like you were saying who would have gone to world of sports that front row would probably see him and go look at him that working class man pretending to be (laughs) what he isn't so it's basically working both sides yeah that's true that's a very very amazing like kind of little way of looking at it that's incredible This next one's from Frankie Mon, a.k.a. Michael Francis from the Atomic Elbow. He did a fantastic interview for Atomic Elbow with William Regal, which we have the pleasure of republishing on our site. It's going to be coming out in the next couple of days. I've had a gander at that. It's like, it's amazing. It's long form. It's in-depth. As we mentioned in the episode, Regal is very, very open and very, very, like, uh, forthcoming with talking about 
all different aspects of his career. So yeah, definitely want to check that one out on howtowrestling.com. Absolutely. So this one's from Michael. As a lad, William Regal said he wanted to be a wrestler, comic or clown. I asked him how successful he'd been in achieving some or all of these aims when I spoke to him for Atomic Elbow. This is the quote from William Regal. I'm not sure to what measure, but I have done my best to do all three things when given the chance. Oh man, I think that is... uh... A very, very much like how I would describe William Regal's career. And as soon as you mention those three words, like three different flashes pop into my yeah. mind of three very different things that he would be doing. And the thing about him as well is that, you know, there's a lot of characters in wrestling who maybe spend a long period of time being a very, very goofy character and then they become this very serious character. Honestly, Regal would shift between these kind of week to week almost. He would be this deadly serious villain who would then maybe do something quite kind of silly or, or you know, have the something comedic happen to him. And it's because he was a serious character, it became even more, like, hilarious. So he managed to be, like, all of those things at once, to be a well-renowned serious wrestler, a comic, and a clown, which I think a lot, as we said before, I think a lot of wrestlers think that you can't be those things. You yeah. can't be that entertaining kind of slapstick character and also be a serious wrestler. Well, Regal proves that wrong, I think. Yeah, I, honestly, I can't think of anyone who's ever managed that. No. Before or since. I don't know. It's a short list if there is any. Like, I don't know. And no one has done it as successful as he has, and I like, think. And, like, all at the same time to flip between them, like, at a moment's notice. That's... I mean, like, Kurt Angle a little bit. I mean, he's done some of the comedy stuff. But, to, you know, Kurt Angle wouldn't be falling around in condiments for a reasonably yeah. long period of time. I think he might be a, a comic and a wrestler, but I don't think Kurt was ever a clown. No. Regal definitely, you know, I mean, his penis was exposed on TV once in the pursuit of clownsmanship, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Liam Stolarek. Someone I didn't really appreciate until I was older. Not many people understand the philosophy of wrestling quite like him, and also the value of comedy, not only as a face, but as a heel. He could use comedy and still be a despicable gap. A despicable bad guy. This is why I like people like Liam Stollerick when they do tweets that reinforce the previous point that yeah. we were making. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this one's from Michael Scally at Fizz vs. The World. One of my favourite bits of Regal on commentary, taken from X Moot X's, the very best of common hating. Oh yeah, big shout out for common hating. That was one of the video series on YouTube that really inspired me to, to do like podcasting and to actually do anything with wrestling because there was a period of time we did our commentary episodes. There was a period of time where all Vince wanted to do was for his commentators just to bicker with each other. And it would be like kind of, uh, you know, Jerry Lawler would bring up something and say something that was a verb. And then Vince would be like, no, tell him that it's not a verb. That's an adverb. And they'd be like, well, King, it turns out you used an adverb instead of a verb. Wow. And it's this real like low energy Fun. bickering. Mm-hmm. And Common Hating was a great series, which like had that. And then also like Booker T being very, very, you know, over the top and very clumsy with his words. And then people trying to make fun of him on commentary for Ugh. it. It's a great series if you want to see the absolute dirt worst of what commentary <laughs> can be. So this is a quote from Regal on commentary. My dear sweet grandmother used to sit me on her knee and with her gin-soddened breath say to me, William, you're born to hang. And I remember that dear sweet lady's final words, Mr. Stiles. And they were, William, put that hammer down. Whoa! Yep. Are you telling me that William Regal just revealed uh-huh. on commentary that he murdered yep. his alcoholic grandmother? Yep. Uh huh. Wow. With, With a, a hammer. hammer. Wow. Like kingpin. Jesus Christ! It is. Good lord. <laughs> 
I just realised that we just after spending like two and a half hours talking about how great this man is. I can't stop thinking now of the comparisons the between William Regal and Kingpin. They even stand the same way. That's true, the handguard pack, you know? Yeah. Who is William Regal's Vanessa? We may never know. Like. I want to see Kingpin roll around in condiments for an unreasonably <laughs> long time. <laughs> Seriously, call the police. What's the statute limitations on murder with a hammer, surely? <laughs> this one's from Brian Settles, 88. His relationship with Tajiri was the basis for some great comedy. Somehow they found a balance that wasn't completely offensive when it easily could have been. You can tell they really are friends. Yeah, I can't think of any other time that they've done, like, even in that era, like the Attitude Era, when they've done, like, two characters on screen of different ethnicities and it not end up being like a whole thing that ages terribly and especially with the dynamic as well you've got Tajiri who is Japanese yes playing almost like a butler servant type character to William Regal who is English yeah very (laughs) fine we're we're, we're in the corridors of Imperial England here we're we're doing this and I think it only does work because of because of Tajiri and because of Regal yeah I think the two of them like made us to be more than what it could have been. Absolutely. And yeah, they're probably, I'm not, not to, you know, I'm not sure like who was the writer who would have pitched it, but like I know, for instance, with the Acolytes, the APA, Farouk and Bradshaw, uh, his JBL, you know, back in the day when they were a tag team, Russo apparently was always pushing them that he wanted to do segments that were making, you know, it was like, ah, it's a black guy and a white guy. Whoa, how wacky is that? And they were like, can't we just be like two guys? Like, what's the fucking deal, you know? And like, I even remember with Bradshaw, they had him paired up with Takamichi Noku, a Japanese wrestler back in 1998. And they had all these segments where, you know, they'd be backstage and they'd be in a car and Taka couldn't drive the car because he's Japanese, you know? Wow. And you know, just to think that in even two and a bit short years that they managed to have that relationship or have that type of a, you know, to be able to do comedy without it just falling into the obvious pitfalls of the era. I think yeah. it's, it's great to see that someone was doing a bit something a bit smarter than that. Absolutely. This one's from Brian Bradshaw. One story I heard that exemplifies the kind of human William Regal is. Friends of mine of a podcast in Boston, MA, got to be guests of a seminar held by Regal a couple of years ago and even got to have breakfast with him where they got to pick his brain. One question they asked was if he believes he is a Hall of Famer. He told them he doesn't deserve a Hall of Fame induction because nobody paid to see him. He was only a supporting cast. A rare, humble man in an industry full of egotists and backstabbers. Wow, that's like literally, I can't think of anyone who would ever say that. And like, you know, most people who feel entitled to a Hall of Fame induction oftentimes are the supporting cast. That's, yeah, honestly, like, I, I obviously appreciate how modest he is. He's a very modest man and... I'm never going to criticise someone for their own modesty. Mm. That being said, I honestly can't think of anyone more suited to be a Hall of Famer. I honestly think that's Mm. what... I know the Hall of Fame is a bit of a nonsense made up kind of thing but like it should be the people who work really hard who make the wrestling industry a better place who are willing to put over other guys even if it maybe doesn't reflect as well on them themselves like honestly I can't think of anyone more deserving and could you imagine how great the speech would be as well I'm just saying it would be the probably the all-time greatest Hall of Fame speeches ever who would you get to induct him Oh, man, that's tricky. I mean, like, obvious things are probably like someone like Robbie Brookside or Dave Taylor, with whom he shared a large portion of his career. But I don't know. I'd love to see him, like, get inducted by someone like Triple H, you know, because Triple H, you know, he was he was Regal's kind of, like, protege in some yeah. ways back in WCW. And the fact that they work so closely together. And that's, I think, that's one of those, like, close relationships in wrestling that people maybe don't dwell or think about a lot. Because the two of those, like, work together 
like exclusively on NXT but people are already talking about Regal and Triple H and I bet that they've got a serious bond there because you can't create what they've created without sharing some sort of a shared bond so I'd yeah. love to actually hear Triple H talk about William Regal and see what he'd have to say that would be awesome hopefully he just won't put himself over <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I believe it's time to announce our very, very special upcoming episode. Ooh. I'm really excited about this. And forgive us, it's Christmas, so we're feeling like we're in a bit of a giving mood. It's coming up to Christmas, so it's definitely feeling like this is also a very, very appropriate episode that we will be doing. Because it's coming up to the festive period, and we're feeling that we're going to be very, very forthcoming. We're going to give you three for the price of one, because you're not going to get just one character in our next episode you're going to be getting three 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 for the price of one three for the price of one yeah you don't have to come to cyber friday here anymore or black monday it's going to be a tartan monday because we're going to have dude love cactus jack and mankind because our next episode is going to be about my favorite wrestler of all time mick foley and i can't fucking wait i'm really excited as well because for long-term listeners of this show, you may remember that Mick Foley was the first ever wrestler I ever heard about or saw. When me and Kevin first met, and he wasn't really willing to tell me about wrestling. Because I was ashamed. Because you were ashamed. Before this podcast existed, I did my own research, didn't I? Yeah. And I found out about Mick Foley. Yeah. And it was only after I'd bought a DVD about Mick Foley that I actually heard through a friend that Mick Foley was Kevin's favourite wrestler. Oh. I was like, I think I might get a date with this man. <laughs> <laughs> and listeners, I did. Yeah, she, uh, she, she, she bagged me. She, uh, bagged yeah, she bagged me good and proper. So, mankind, dude, love, cactus, Jack, three faces of Foley, three unique characters, one incredible man. Now, Mick Foley is someone you've obviously seen on your TV screens mm-hmm. a fair bit, and you've also watched a bit of Mick Foley stuff. In the, yeah, I mean, yeah. I know we even read Mick Foley's book as a bedtime story yes, at one period did. in time. <laughs> So this is going to be a really, really fun episode because we're going to try and capture not just the different characters in terms of their matches, but the different personas in terms of the storylines and the promos. We're going to look at his time in Japan and ECW and the hardcore wars he had as Cactus Jack, going into some of his more intense character work as Mankind, ripping out his hair and stabbing himself in the foot with a screwdriver. We're going to look at the fun-loving dude love and Joe's favourite thing of all time now, which is corporate makeovers. Yeah. So you better believe we're going to be looking at dude love and Man kind in corporate loafers <laughs> we're also going to be looking at rock and sock connection yeah i can share my fan art yeah that's great i remember like looking back way when you were doing the original designs for the cinema swirl artwork and logos my hidden sketches you weren't allowed to see in there there's some uh, mankind and some uh, rock in there i'm there very are. excited to yep. talk a bit more about rock and sock connection and some really amazing bits that joe's like never seen or heard of before really i talk about mick foley's original run being the commissioner foley's return to the ring and his legendary matches against Edge and Randy Orton in 2004 and 2006, his perhaps questionable time in TNA and his attempts to become an author and to become a goodwill ambassador for wrestling and his stand-up. There's a whole lot to unpack with this man and maybe we'll touch on his love of Father Christmas as well at the same time. And if I'm right in thinking this, may we be re-watching the classic Hell in a Cell match? Oh yeah, absolutely. Which I've not seen since before this podcast existed. Yeah, I think uh, contrary to the 
outright instructions the start of this podcast. I think I show that to you like pretty much. Yeah. You're like, so you like Mick match. Foley, do you? Have all the Mick Foley in the world. Here's yeah. him dying. Mm-hmm. Like. So Mick Foley is a man whose style and his approach to wrestling might actually shock, I think, compared to, you know, what considered to be safe or, or reasonable or, or what, you know, what he did could not be done ever again. So I'm really excited to look back at his career through this lens and kind of maybe ask the question of, you know, did McFoley give too much of himself or was it that this was the career that he was destined to have? And if he didn't do what he did, would he have become as beloved and endearing to all of us as he has? I don't know. I'm really excited to hear everyone's takes on that. As there are three faces of Foley, I guess we'll have just to go with hashtag how to Mick Foley. Let us know your favorite matches, segments, interviews, moments. We're looking for comedy and wholesome. I've got Mick Foley versus Santa Claus in a boiler room brawl match earmarked for Joe to have a look <laughs> at later on. So we're going to try and do a lot of extended viewing around this. We're probably hitting up the For All Mankind, the documentary that WWE produced on it. And I think we're going to have to hit up on some of those heavy hitting matches as well. I mean, you know about Hell in the Cell, but mm-hmm. I don't think you know about I Quit, do you? No. Yeah, that's a. Uh, Oh, there's some matches that when I watched some last for the iChair podcast gave me serious heebie-jeebies. Oh, no. So, yeah. And as well, it's a time to maybe look back on the man's entire career. What are your thoughts of Mick Foley? What is his legacy? He is someone who struggled with wondering, will he be known as the guy who pulled the sock out of his pants for his career? Or will he be known as one of the most brutal, hardcore competitors of all time? Which, it's both. It's both, is it? Or is it one or the other? And also Christmas. And also Christmas. Bet he didn't see that coming. <laughs> So, thank you very, very much for joining us again on this episode, our odyssey through England and William Regal. A big, massive shout-out to the fabulous Matt Ricardo, the amazing Matt Ricardo, for joining us and giving us his thoughts and insight. And do please make sure it cannot be stated enough, Matt is first and foremost one of the most incredible magicians and illusionists and sleight of hand and... Comedians. Comedians. Yeah. I mean... I feel that any of those words I'm using individually to describe him is massively selling him short. Yeah. So what you should do is Google Matt Ricardo, M-A-T-R-I-C-A-R-D-O. Or visit his website, mattricardo.com. Yes, where you can find out all about his upcoming tour, where he's going to be playing. He's always playing all over the world and England. And as well, you can check out some video clips of him doing some absolute wondrous feats, which cannot never be replicated. Absolutely ridiculous. And as well, don't forget how to rest Wrestling.com, Joe mentioned, or Pals from Atomic Elbow have got a great article about William Regal, which should be up there on the website now, or very, very shortly. Huge thanks to Michael Francis for that. And as well, there's amazing articles from all of our fantastic writers at HowToWrestling.com, also as well recently, a long in-depth look at how the ill-fated electrified steel cage match came together. We've got reviews of WWE Comics, we've got intro guides for Lucha Libre and New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's all happening at HowToWrestling.com, and if you you've got an idea for an article and want to have a bit of a chat about it head up joe at howtowrestling at gmail.com if you want to pitch you want to write for the site let us know and as always thank you everyone for tuning in and for listening along we are very very excited to talk about mick foley so make sure you get those tweets in using the hashtag howtomickfoley until next time it's going to be a goodbye from me kevin and a goodbye from me joe and we'll see you next time on how to wrestling see ya
Hey. You gotta get digital. There we go. Rubbish. Who needs digital notes then? We got that nice little uh, What is right, Matt, is that now and then when I'm editing, when I do something like that, there'll be a bit of a gap and I can edit like ten seconds out at once. And it's a little treat, like it's like, oh <laughs> just got rid of all that, like, you know? Mm. Like picking up a really big piece of dandruff, it's just all gone at once. It's well, great, that's you know? a charming <laughs> that's a charming simile there. 